0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Crash Courts Podcast. I of course am Matt. I'm John. And I'm Steve. And I'm
1: still John. Really? <laughs> yes, I have to. <laughs> Could have changed it, you never know. But he likes to get the last word. I always have to get the last word in. It was a very brief yet eventful period of time. Yeah.
2: Very. hmm Uh huh. That's why I always hold the ending a little bit longer than you guys. Yes, we know.
1: Because you're paying the ass. I didn't know that. <laughs> this is news to me. I never <laughs> noticed it. You're the one who edits it. That's true. Like every day. So I have to listen to you twice. Yes. It's horrible. It is horrible. Horrible. Terrible. You have yeah, to terrible. listen to me twice a so, week. That's right. Think I, other people have to listen to me
2: every day. <laughs>
1: oh, God. Yeah,
2: there's, uh, there's that. That's
1: you're, true. You're, someone, you're right customers, now, uh. someone
0: right now, as we speak, is going through our backlog and listening to John every day.
1: I'm going to go home and write a we- re- requiem. A requiem. A requiem. <laughs> For your wequiem. customers. A requiem. Because I think they're dead inside. Right. Not that they're actually dead.
2: One of my customers is the employees. Oh. Yeah. Oh. They have to deal with me.
1: Oh. Well, that's they're probably dead already, then. If they're following their boss, yes. Yes, they are. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. We've psychoanalyzed you enough. Yes, that's true. Let's psychoanalyze... Our album pick for this week, our first all-pick in a long time, and it, of course, is Emergence by Godsticks. Yes. Today is a very, very special podcast. Although it wouldn't seem to be any of our usual landmarks, it marks a return to the band that produced our highest-rated album of all time. That's across three years, 160 episodes, 150-something albums analyzed, and that band is Godsticks. Sort of a proggy, metallic trio from Wales, for anyone who doesn't know. And their latest album, out since September 4th, is called Emergence. I've been waiting for it to emerge for two years. I made that crack at the end of the episode last week, and I kind of suspect that Godsticks may have named it that so their diehard fans would utter the same gag. When's it gonna emerge? When's it gonna emerge? I'm waiting. And it never did. Yet, I don't think your pun was nearly as good as the implied pun from their title. That's right. I, I'm just kind of, you know, paraphrasing. That's, mm-hmm. that's what I do. Anyway, it was about two years ago, back in episode 51, that I selected Godstick's previous album, The Envisage Conundrum, for review. Now, two years is actually an incredibly reasonable gap, I think, between studio releases, although it feels like forever on this podcast because of how we treat every episode as this giant project, so I can only hope that maybe we're psychologically making our lives longer in the process. But anyway, I recall falling in love with that album for three months prior to the review, and just as God sticks, after reaching out to us, paid tribute to a friend of theirs who referred them to our podcast, I feel I should maybe pay a tribute to a friend of mine who referred me to God Sticks initially, and that's my good friend, James Agnello, and his exquisite taste in music. Yes, kudos to the man who also brought us Scale the Summits, The Migration, which is a whole nother animal entirely. We review them in episode 67. Anyway, after I fell in love with the album and brought it onto the podcast, although it was a... I think a raving success. Our discussion certainly did it justice. I've since found more details, more shapes, more colors that I wish I'd conveyed at the time, and furthermore, that I just have not found anywhere else since. Certainly in doses, certainly in plenty of other songs, for all for strikingly different reasons, but on an album scale, with the same fluidity, the same intensity, the same attention to story arc or an emotional arc, no, just flat out no, I am incurably snooty. I just want to insert here
0: that I actually happen to listen to that album almost every day. It's one of the few albums well for a long period of time. It's one of those albums that made it into my rotation in a way that almost every day I check in with it, whether it's on my way
1: to work or on my way home from work, I'll give it a listen.: It literally did not leave my car. It just stayed in there and I actually started to worry after a while that maybe it was going to get like damaged from the heat or the cold or whatever have you. That album still scares me a little bit. Yeah, it, it was quite terrifying. And I I think it's because they managed to capture something transcendent on that album. Uh, First of all, making the Lydian diatonic mode a reconcilable beast and using it to sort of blend their dark humor with agitation on one hand and then just flat-out misery on the other. For all of these reasons, I feel no shame in prefacing this episode with that quick epilogue to one of my favorite albums of all time. They can hang their coats on it as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, the final ratings at the time went, Matt, a five. Steve, that would be me, I gave it a 5, which is my only 5 to date, uh, despite several upper echelon 4s ever since. And then John, the sole dissenter, gave it a 4.9, with a retrospective 5, right? End of year review, yes. End end of year review. I felt it had earned enough momentum in my listening catalog to warrant a 5. See, that's the thing. That reflects that we're all about honesty, constructive honesty, and that's what we intend to do here today. Given, however, that those three ratings do make up our highest average ever. We decided to select Emergence as a mutual all-pick. And for anyone who's unfamiliar with our system, what an all-pick basically means is a break in our rotation, the rotation of Matt, John, and Steve, just like a guest pick is a break in the rotation, a fan pick is a break in the rotation. For an all-pick, no one of us is giving up their week's choice to select Godsticks, because we are all selecting Godsticks collectively. Why are we doing this? Because Godsticks set the bar, and we believe a magnifying glass on their career is a worthy use of our time voyeurism be damned (laughs) um so thank you godsticks for making a new album if you're listening we're gonna get into it now that's right and we probably this time are now uh, we know they're listening yeah that's true (laughs) um Um, last little point of discussion i just want to quickly mention the reception of emergence was quite significant in the media especially like Prague magazine they're raving about this album and as far as i'm concerned my only problem with this is that it's two years too late they didn't pick up on, on Invisit's Conundrum, it seemed. It yeah. seemed that album kind of went uh, under the radar. Not for everyone. Uh, some people definitely did, like, really just fall in love with that, like we did. Right. But uh, it seemed this seems to be their, their breakthrough album, at least in the media, as far as they are concerned. So let's see why, on or off the mark, uh, they felt emergence warranted such adulation. Um, I'm going to try and avoid too many direct comparisons to the previous album, to Invisit's Conundrum, only because, you know... Obviously, this is a fresh work. They're trying to do a new thing, but it may come up just for conversational purposes. So, sure. So, uh, yeah, be warned. <laughs> I,
0: I feel like at this point, if you're listening and have not heard our episode where we did review Envisage Conundrum, go back to that one first. Listen to that album. Listen to that review. Hell, go back even back.
1: earlier. That had a wonderful EP that was actually the first uh, taste of Godsticks that I ever heard. And then after that, they had a, a, their debut album was called Spiral Vendetta. Right. lots of evolution, considering they're only had three albums so far. Um. Last little thing, the cover. Let's talk about the cover. We like to, we're trying to get into this pattern here. We don't talk about the
0: artwork enough, and I apologize for that, because album artwork is one of those kind of dying arts a lot. It used to be done by hand all the time. You know, Phil Hartman was actually a famous um, hand-drawn metal cover album artist before he became a
1: comedian. I did not know that. Yes.
0: He had a a, a burgeoning career as an artist drawing album covers. I forget, he's done some famous rock albums. I just can't remember off the top of my head which. And then he trans. went to like doing improv and comedy. Well I did know
1: know that he came into comedy fairly late and I always kind of wondered what he was doing before that. I knew that there was that actor phase and he determined that he was not the greatest actor because he always tried to do these characters and that was just ideal for sketch comedy so it was a very clean transition for him. But, but, uh, but I, has I digress. That's a, a wonderful factoid. Yes. <laughs> On this particular album cover, though, um, obviously, I, I was impressed as of uh, the Invisits conundrum with the whole little demonic creature breathing fire who really looked like Alien from the movie Alien. Sure. And then he, this was kind of a totally different uh, direction it, for them. It, it was, was
0: more subtle, more subdued, but it was essentially, it's a black and white cover, and there's the outline oh, yeah, of what... A well, sepia tone kind of. And it, the outline looks humanoid. Mm-hmm. But it looks like either something's bulging from the background wallpaper or has already broken through and these are the shreds of the wallpaper it ripped through.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting interpretation.
2: And it, it's really nice the way they did it. The The shading shows the lighting coming off from the right side, which also is is curious because the figurine tends to be more towards the right as opposed to center. And the lettering is on the left. And it simply says, Godstick's emergence. Center, very simplistic font, white on this sepia-toned background. This does a great job, artistically, visually, of drawing the eye to that part of the screen, to the left side, so that you don't quite see the figurine as prominently because you're reading the text. Yeah. This gives a corner of the eye kind of a, a feel to this very soft-edged humanoid figurine.
1: This is off the wall when it comes to horror creep factor, kind of a shot. Well, it's also, I mean, just considering what you're saying about, like, not, you're... you're initial uh, observations are not immediately on it. I had uh, a friend of mine compare it initially to uh, a magic eye, essentially. Like, you have to kind of, like, focus in on it. Now, it does, of course, pop out at you, but there is that little element of subtlety. And, of course, you know, with the title in mind, Emergence, you know, I feel like everyone saw that and was just like, ooh, there (laughs) is something emerging, even if it's just on that simple level. Um, But they finally emerge with the album, and let's get into it. Track one, Below the Belt. Holy crap, I love this track. I'm going to speak before you get to. Wow. Just so that way... It's usually my you know. line with the, I know. the intense one-liners. At the I know, start of track. I know, I know. But I, I want to just quickly... This is, for instance, one of my uh, quick uh, comparisons. Just just in terms of how they started their album compared to the previous. Um, if for anyone who calls uh, the Invisors Conundrum, it began with a track called Convergence. It uh, Obviously, that's kind of the the you know duo there between Convergence and Emergence. And that track by contrast, was just this very slow, kind of mysterious intro. It kind of builds you into the album. It's essentially a non-track. It's pure intro, essentially like a mood setter or mood warper for the edginess that began uh, track two on that album, which was caught in a bind. But here, we're just diving right into the meat, a six-minute behemoth that is more in line, I think, with the Border Stomp trilogy than than anything else. Uh, I think it was a great choice right off the bat as far as shuffling up your fans' expectations from album to album. You never want to repeat your tricks. And this this definitely doesn't. This aggressive
0: start with heavy metal, in-your-face rock, just it's very, very in-your-face to start. And it is very polarizingly opposite to that previous Let's go record. beyond.
1: It's not just rock. This is more metal. Yeah. I, mean, I had to kind of conservatively use the word metal on the previous album. This, it's pretty apparent. And they, they said they were going to go heavier. They did. And it's not
2: just the guitar that's showcasing this. The bass has a line that it just flutters around that is really separate from both the rhythm and the lead guitars Yeah, that does a great job of creating this little level of intrigue. And it phases in and out of your hearing. You can't hear it all the time having the bass so set back yet prominently showing chords here and there, it was inventive. And that line, it's one of those instances where I really wish I could isolate that one piece because I think it could be something you could use in jazz. It could be
1: something you can use in rock. It could be something you use in punk, metal. It's all over the place. It's, it's almost as if the bass and the guitar were kind of sparring in the background. And then from the sparring, you almost get a sense that that the character, as it were, was just, like, struck, because you have to keep the title in mind, below the belt. And this is just an entire reaction. As of the very beginning of the album, this is the reaction to being struck below the belt. It's a pretty punchy title, so, you know, you're, you're bound to have that, that sensation of, of being blown, you know? In, in so many words. Well, there's also the lyrical aspect, and first,
2: before we get into the lyrics, vocally, Yay. There's no other way to describe it.
1: I love the hypnotic tones that we're getting in the vocal range. Yeah, for instance, in the pre-chorus, I love the way the vocals just sort of hold before we dive into this, and then the narrative that he goes right into. Obviously, one of the, the things that uh, Godsticks excels at is, is melodic work, very deeply melodic prog. still just as intricate. You got the riffs, you got the solos, you got the intensity, but the, the key factor here is always the melody, and specifically the lines, ease my pain and I'll go away lonely. And I've found I can banish this phony No, Now I understand the problems that mold me Do I understand the rules of old Either way, not until beads of sweat Have cleaned away the mud This false display makes me wonder If it's real and steals away forever Words, they are failing me. What is this telling me? Where lies this energy? Now, that kind of blended from the pre-chorus into the chorus here, it seemed to me. And it was just, it was, it was thrilling. I mean, just it even seems that there's a moment within, uh, what is this telling me? What, where lies this energy? That he was making like a quick reference uh, to a melodic motif that existed back in the previous album. So, there's a connectivity here. And, and it's just something that Darren Charles is, is superb at. And there's also the visceral aspect that he has in the verse work. My cause
2: to grieve, punctuated by the weave and flow. My mind's in Shiva mode, but deep down I'm fake. I'll make a scene with such a freak amount of cyanide, for I'm deep diluted out of this game. That's I just, love it. Oh my well, God! Also, That's just. I was rah. even
1: thinking like that. That was back earlier in the verse, and I was even thinking as he says that. But I really want to weave and bob so I could grab the wheel. You know, there's this constant idea of of sparring, almost like in every element here, both in the narrative and in the title, and in the way the the guitar and bass are reacting. It's it's a it's a, it's a kind of a sway track, but but a little bit. Bobbier, I think.
0: Right. Well, that's what I wanted to get back to also. Instrumentally, the aesthetics of the track are pretty consistent. Even though it does change and evolve and give us different things, more or less the environment we're steeped in for this track does stay constant, and I really enjoy that it kind of comes back to that same vibe.
1: Now let's also talk about uh, the segment right following the chorus, because there's these little drum interludes that kind of they're very sporadic, and they break up the material before they finally repeat the section. They do this twice, they do it after the first chorus, they do it after the second chorus, but it's very evasive. The drums almost seem separate from the rhythm. Of course, it's just, uh, I believe that's Steve Roberts just being a little bit more experimental there, but it's it's a great just sucking the air out of the song right in the middle, and then finally restarting it again it's a stuttering
2: pause effect where they go back and forth between note work, silence note work, silence yeah. they preview it in the verses in between the verses sectionally and to really go full force to reinvent the verse to reintroduce the main i guess motif of the story that's going to unfold is a, a great
1: not quite a breather like you said, an intake of breath before we get into something bigger. It's it's the thing we always go back to—the use of silence, which is not something we frequently encounter because it almost seems like there's a lot of a lot of space there. It's quite the breath, you know. Dun 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 dun. Dun, dun, you know, yeah. it's like you don't even realize that it's going to be... It's like, well, did someone just shut off the, the, the soundboard? I don't know. But the second time is when it's even more experimental. It really accentuates those Brecht marks, and that's where it, it develops into this full-on guitar solo. So, but well, because it's we... more experimental, I would say it's like a drum solo leading into a guitar right. solo.
0: Yeah, it, it the guitar definitely gets featured longer, but the drum, there is a brief drum solo where the drummer gets to show off just a little bit, and then it leads into this very guitar-heavy piece that that's taking you through this wave of change for the guitar. I mean, it doesn't even evolve in this guitar
1: solo. It kind of changes from from part to part. I love it stepping in with the sharp four, the flat three there. It's just a little bit dissonant. It's it's absolutely beautiful, though, considering we kind of just receded back to this general C major chord. But then over that, it's not quite C major. It's really C Lydian. And this is another thing, as I mentioned earlier in my intro, that it, it's a it's a... A pattern they love to go back to, Lydian being one of the diatonic modes, it's not, like, that common in pop music. Yeah, it's common in classical, it's common in contemporary classical, and it is kind of common in Prague, but maybe not as the signature sound of the group. It's something that I recall just going back to over and over and over again on Invisit's Conundrum, and it still kind of persists here. The 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 guitar stays mostly in Lydian mode, and it kind of evades the the uh, The presence of mind or, or the the satisfying nature that C major would otherwise give you that you, extra something
2: yeah, and when you take that that whale
1: of the guitar and then bring it to more of a a beautiful speed and then you start varying it well yeah it, it's it actually i mean it starts really rapid fire it's like it was almost like well, I, apparently I am going back to comparisons a lot, <laughs> but I remember like on submergence which was another track on envisage it had this outro uh that was a, a very rapid paced um Guitar solo, and this almost kind of reminded me of that, except even quicker. It, it's it's like, but only sectionally. That's speed. the whole thing. There's, it, it never stays pinned down. Right, but this it wall, goes into something more melodic to follow that, and something more conversational, where at that point starts really referencing things that his voice was doing earlier. And it stays
2: stated. It stays paced. It doesn't become a wall of notes. It doesn't become masturbatory. and never. that's the one thing. I I truly love about Godsticks in general. They don't get masturbatory with their guitar work. It always feels like there is something in mind. It's always born out of the melody. Exactly. But here, the melody seems to be going in a thousand different directions if this guitar solo is born out of it, because there's
1: half a dozen different... Ideas being presented. I did notice that. In fact, there was a moment where there seemed to be a, a clear breath in the phrases of the guitar, kind of uh, almost just like what the drums did earlier. There's that like moment of silence, although here it's not silence, you still have the drums going on in the background, but there's a break in the phrase, the otherwise continuous uh, conversational phrase. It's as if he just Said his, his, his part, and this is just in the guitar, there's no vocals here, and then there's a period at the end of that sentence, and you have to wait for a moment. And then he kind of restarts, and he makes his point again, the same phrase is uttered. It's wonderfully dynamic, and it, it really is the opposite of masturbatory. I mean, I don't think I've ever heard a masturbatory Godstick solo, and more power to them. It shows presence of mind, and at the same time, there's still virtuosity there. The pull-offs, I mean, over the course of this entire solo were just so, so quick and so precise. It, it, The solo almost embodied everything I loved about the last album. It was a wonderful, wonderful start to this record.
2: And while the guitar's going on, we still have the drums, and the drums aren't, you know, true solo, but they're very out there. They they have a steady nature to them, but there's still yeah, a lot were, of complexity. And they, and they showed and more the, than the last album, to be honest. And I think. the bass is doing that as well. The bass, it doesn't have the same captured imagination of the the previous part of the track, the earlier three, four minutes of the track, where I was just following that line because the guitar really did take over, yet it still had enough texture to complement the guitar. Where we were talking about the conflict previously, now they really seem to be accenting one another and
1: and working in unison. True. There did seem to be some mixing variances, and I almost want to say that maybe the the tone of the previous album was a little more up my alley. I feel like it was just mixed more... This was mixed to be heavier, and you have to look at it through that lens. Um, So uh, from there we go to track two, which is called Ruin, which introduces another little element that they, they've kind of favored on the last album there was a lot of piano work. well here we begin with more of an electric keyboard sound almost like this broken kind of wonky uh, electric keyboard sound really just uh, it's got those accents it's got that it's almost a goofy sound to me, but uh, eh, it starts off in B major and it's not around for that long before we gradually build out of it into this recurring guitar motif, which is very simple but very thematic uh, sort of the first two beats of a triplet um and then the first two beats of the... Well, the first two beats of the next triplet, the next beat, and then so forth. And that's kind of... It does that pretty much throughout the piece. It's this hook they constantly go back to. But as they take it,
2: that hook does undergo changes. Even from the beginning, uh, there starts to be uh, a reverb to it, a, a, uh, a wonkiness to it. It starts almost shrieking towards the, the end of this introduction. And well, that was
1: probably right before uh, the, the, the motif that I'm talking about. Um, the motif that I'm talking about is the one that actually kind of stays. It's it's the constant reference material, I think, throughout this song. Yeah, no, that's what I'm talking yeah. about. That's what I'm talking about. They take it, and that reference material doesn't remain the same.
2: In fact, by the first chorus, it's, it's just... It just has reverb all around it, whether it's the actual instrument itself or other pieces having their own reverb.
1: It sounds like the machine that was recording this at points was breaking down. Well, they start gradually expanding it into quite an interesting chord progression. In fact, I I would say there's more of a um, there's more of a, a slower build here before they really expand it. Though the verse I think still kind of takes itself a little bit slowly in this very you know. Uh, self-serious manner, kind of, sort of. It, 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 I noticed that he shifted his voice. He moved, it, and he's on a lower register, and it's more of this, like, stagnant tenor, a little bit self-serious. He still has the same power. Obviously, Darren Charles is always known for having a, a very powerful voice, being able to sing very melodically and very sweetly, but with the same, just, like, lung capacity. Um, and then in the meantime, you have the bass. It was a little bit more quirky. He pokes out, uh, I think, just prior to the first verse. But probably my favorite thing about this were the harmonies that sort of leads us out of the verse into the chorus. And it, it, it's hardly what I'd call a resolution. It's just the tool that they use in order to, like, put you in a place that they keep going back to. But I don't think they're really about resolutions. There's always some ambiguity with God sticks. They keep you tense. Well, it, even when they come back to the verse work, um,
2: after that, that chorus... It's, it's much more guttural. It's much more clouded. It's much grittier. There's a, a hell of a lot more going on. And this is a great aspect of their music. When they do introduce something again,
1: it's usually a new rendition. Right. Well, that, that's this, this, this chorus here, which I think... As I said, it, it keeps it kind of ambiguous, but it's in a way it almost throws it back to the same ballpark that we were in the in the first track, the sort of uh, very heavy heavy metal atmosphere. At the, by this point, where we've completely built up, an interesting chord progression here. This like B major, and then from that we go down to the flat five, and then we go to this F sharp augmented, or sort of like that. It's it's actually a great choice. It keeps it especially eerie, and it's an odd choice for a chorus. Something I want to bring up at this point also is that, and we talked about this with
0: Below the Belt, and it's constant in all of Godstick's work that I've seen so far, is the naming conventions they use for their title tracks are very descriptive. Mm -hmm. And then the sound that the tracks convey hammer home that title they've given it. These aren't just titles to name these songs. These are titles to to explain the character the song has. The fact that the song is called Ruin, and it sounds like certain instruments are kind of breaking down. There's a cloudiness, a thick cloud hanging over the course. It sounds like this song is meant to represent a city in ruin,
1: almost. Furthermore, emphasized by the, the vocals themselves. I mean, I already mentioned the thing about his melodies, but he has this tendency to really hold out and belt the most Dissonant notes of the scale a lot of times those are the notes. He emphasizes that's the accent and it's usually right on a flat five with respect to something adjacent or or An adjacent note, you know something that's not in the chord. I absolutely love that it there's no shame there He doesn't hide behind the coarseness of the music. He just goes for it
2: And it's also exemplified in the material being discussed the actual lyrics themselves the track ends with some beautiful dark poetry You only view it in your distorted light. Abolish anything, no concern for right. You will incinerate, burned among the jeering devils that tell us where tomorrow's writers. You've wound up sitting with me, the animal. Your mind's a sedative, leave my brain alone.
1: You boil and simmer before insanity, take control of me. You know, it sounds really great in song. When you read it separately, this is like it's that like, diary kind of, that you find and you kind of wish you hadn't found it. This is yeah.
2: like, this is H.P. Lovecraft kind of like darkness going on. <laughs> I don't know, it's in, that, in that
1: vein, exactly. Okay, but maybe it's, Cthulhu's uh, not going to show up, but this is not a happy no, this thing. Is, no, there's no fantasy here. This is just a very focused, personal, wretchedly personal trip.
0: It definitely is very heavy. And what I like about it, though... What I like about now we're two tracks in is that they've got this heaviness, this power that was in the previous record and in their sound as a whole, but nev- not so up front. And that's what I really like, is that they're not pulling any punches here. They wanted to do something heavier, and they're doing
1: it. They that's actually... They, the ending. The ending itself, though, well, lines up the, beautifully. It, that's the thing. They, they don't pull any punches up to a point. Exactly. Up At about like three minutes in we get this uh, solo that actually has this wonderful chorusing. I mean, this is a resolution. They completely release the tension, and this wonderful chorusing steps in here. Uh, several vocalists at once, and it's just heavenly. So it's like, that's the that's what we had to go through in order to get to this point. And it, it, it really livens up the... Uh, the mood a little bit. Granted, of course, we had a six-minute-long first track, and then we're already three minutes into this, so we're a good uh, dent into this album, and we haven't really gotten that that beautiful resolution. I'm glad they finally delivered it. I'm actually impressed they were able to keep so much energy going up until this point before finally giving to us.
0: I mean, they are very good at at managing this tenseness. They they
1: they cultivate it and they build it. Rather keeping it, I should I should amend that to say, right, keeping it at at um as interesting as they. As they did yes. over the course of that time at that same energy level, because it's it's common. We found this in other uh, metal bands and other prog bands where sometimes you can just sort of reach that height, reach that plateau, and coast. And you find that as intense as it is, it's not really substantive. God sticks is always substantive. Sure. From here we go to track three, much sinister. What I like about this song
0: is from the minute the percussion starts, you get this kind of strut, this walking beat
1: that that kind of Feels almost like a groove, or actually is kind of a groove. It's very, it's full of attitude. Even the way it opened, the very beginning, that 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 sort of seventh interval where it steps in from the B up to the A, you wouldn't really think this was going anywhere at the time. It leaves it incredibly ambiguous until the hook finally steps in, and all of a sudden that's where this, that's the strut. It's really dense, really chromatic, and yet extremely catchy in of itself. It's like these guitar punches just. Falling gradually down in half-step. It even seems like there's a couple of overlaps there. It's a... It's... I, I hate this word, but I'm, I think this is borderline iconic. As far as a rock track, sure. I don't get this a lot um, in general. And I honestly didn't expect to get it from Godsticks, because you gotta do it right. It's almost as if the guitar is being
2: played too much. It's starting to... O- It's not actually off-key, but it sounds like it might be heading that direction. It's not actually broken strings or starting to fray, but it's heading in that direction. it's all in
1: that chromatic motion. It feels like it's gonna just break down at some point and fall out of key, exactly. But
2: at the same time, it's also presenting a little bit of the devilish side of this main character we're getting
0: with the lead guitar. It gives a drama to this track that, you know, we hadn't felt previously up until that point. It, this this really kind of adds a theater element to this track, and there are theatricalities to their previous work and their previous tracks, but this one is where it really
1: comes through, and I think that's part of that rock and roll feel too. Right, and then even after that really just rock heavy section where you're just completely immersed in the groove, they do liven this up a little bit in the pre-chorus. It's again a, a great release where they're all singing at once, beginning with the lines "Don't need to say more, don't don't need to say no more." Won't the photograph capture it all, at all? And then from there, the, the, a, a strut, frankly, that is even superior to the initial strut begins. Sure. And this is the chorus. Uh, at this point, I'm not only singing along, you're grooving along. It's, it's, it, it offers a lot, I, I think, that they didn't do on the previous album. And it begins with the lines, We don't need to act cold. The energy has bowled us over. It don't cost to be bold." So let him go, let him go. And again, there's just that irreverence that he had uh, with a lot of lyrics, you know, in the previous album. There's a lot of this just uh, kind of letting letting the lyrics just b- blow over your shoulder. It's so casual. It feels conversational. And yet at the same time, it's full of the same power. It's full of the same beauty. Uh, it's, it's amazing you can do this all at once. It's because
2: both the guitar and I think the bass were wandering in their scales. They weren't sticking...
1: Uh, at all within a very solid frame of reference. I think uh, I think they were they, they kept they kept the chord going, but it was they were definitely dancing around. They had their own strut going in the midst. Well What I really like is when um, the guitar strut comes to this kind
0: of fruition, where it kind of staggers and and jumps with this heavy riff, and then for the last like few seconds of that riff, literally skips the note and just dent 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 dent. And kind of gives this almost hammering piano sample with a guitar, which is right. really awesome.
1: And frankly, I didn't, I didn't even uh, continue. I really didn't realize how long the chorus goes. I mean, it, it actually elevates itself. But even before the, the part that you're talking about, it continues after, so let him go, let him go. We don't need to be sold. The energy has bowled us over. Got my fire burning someone's folly. Apathy's seen it before, and it's seen you waltzing in because you're opting in for a war that you cannot win. No, and I love the way he, he just, he, he drags out that final line. Great. And then you finally get the solo that, that really recreates and embellishes the prior melody. Um, Just as we noticed in previous occasions, every single time you get a solo here, it's just... It feels born out of the material. It's never just this like additive that what, you're, you have to you have to suffer through. Question: I also,
2: If the previous track was really having a lot of like fluctuation with what's going on here, we're not even getting uh, an A prime. It's it's completely different sections, but there's no loss of cohesion. Absolutely none. Uh, we can we can say the same sort of ideas of what the previous parts were over, but we're not reiterating the same point. These are completely different
1: ideas. It's much tighter though. It has the air of a single frankly. I'm not even sure if this is the single although it would make sense. I believe this is the track that they released though on on, on a video some, some months ago um where they were actually had the video going on in the recording studio i believe this was the track not sure about that what i like about the way this track culminates too is it culminates with that guitar
0: moment that i talked about mid-range from the track and it's not a long moment the first time it happened it was only a few seconds and in this time also it's maybe five seconds but it's that same focused guitar work that ends with just the single skipping note and then the song culminates and i just think it's a brilliant way to wrap up the track and it's just an interesting way To bring a feature back without milking it or overdoing it. They could have easily dragged that out, but instead they just had the ideal
1: moment again, briefly at the end, to wrap up the track. Yeah, it's just like a straight up, it's almost a swing strut. It feels like it's swinging as it goes. So, yeah, uh, instantly loved this track. This is probably one of my favorites. I even have a a hard time talking about it because it, it just seems so... It it seems very easy to get on board with, even for people who aren't maybe Godsticks fans. Like, there's some warming up that you have to do to, to both of these albums in general. But this track kind of just leaps out. Yeah. I think it would appeal to any prog fan, any metal fan, any rock fan. Which is why I, I dared to use the word iconic.
0: Sure. From here we go to
1: track four. Exit
0: stage right. Um, what I... <laughs> I lovingly deem the intro to this track a flurry of guitars because there's so much guitar work going in in the first seconds of this track. It just really <laughs> feels like you're just guitars whizzing by your head. So many
1: notes. <laughs> so many s- notes. Isn't that what they said so in, ama- in Amadeus? Too many notes. <laughs>
2: anyway. At, at the same time, these I, I call them the furious reiterations of the guitar because this keeps changing as we go along. In the beginning I,
1: ultra- intro, it's just great the way it's just transformative. It doesn't want to stay anywhere. I'd even go a step further than Furious. I would say that this, in many ways, is more sinister than what we got in the previous track. Much sinister. It's actually a little doji. <laughs> even towards the very end of it, you have um, uh, another high,
2: light guitar almost reverbing on top of it with additional notes being played around the, the, the main riff that we're developing. But after this, it kind of starts losing a little bit of steam this introduction is great but for me once the verse starts coming in everything settles out a little bit too much
1: um the only thing i the only reason i feel like you might feel that is because of course you know we we, we set the precedent with that sinister strut you have that sort of you know one and, and three a four and a one and and of course they replace the ands with the assumed triplets or 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 he that effect. but in any case that's just a, uh, a real rough simplification of of the way this strut goes and it kind of persists underneath those guitars that he's talking about as we go uh, further into the verses but what i do think keeps this rather fresh is are the vocals once the vocals step in they're almost just as rhythmic as the guitars are they're kind of like hopping around again with the whole like sparring notion and despite this sort of being another fairly heavy metal track they keep it pretty interesting vocally i think that instrumentally though it only
0: comparatively to the previous three tracks we've gotten so far feels a little more straightforward in the fact that it's not making these huge swells or dynamic changes this stays more of a constant riff straightforward rock track, which there's nothing wrong with. I interpret it as like maintaining the tension. Yes, I agree. I think that, but maintaining that tension does bring you to kind of a constant, which is okay. I feel like that kind of enhances the tension. When you drag something out, when the moment is already tense, the longer you drag it out, the more tense it gets. So it kind of
2: adds to that. And that's where I would agree. In this case, as we start going between uh, verses, pre-choruses, and choruses, because it seems like they can't
1: have anything but a pre-chorus before their chorus, I love them, because they're always interesting. The pre-chorus is even. I think I found it more interesting, perhaps, than the chorus. I will admit that maybe the chorus is a good example of what you were talking about, where I felt like it was a little bit lacking. Like you didn't quite reach the plateau; we kind of uh, went down a little bit. It's. It's. But I see this as more like an exercise in frantic behavior. Um, that is better executed in the pre-chorus, perhaps, than the chorus. We just again with that refusal to resolve. The riff, though, the
2: the riff nature of the guitar. Isn't challenging me, and we talked about this previously on podcast. I love challenging music, we all love challenging music. This is composed beautifully, it really is. There's a lot of complexity going on, and some very intelligent choices. But up until this point, the first three checks, I was relying on the guitar and bass to challenge me. So that's my turn here. That's the thing that's really lacking to keep exit stage right from being another awe-inspiring song. See, for me,
0: I find that awe-inspiring nature though in the lyrics. And I mean, the tension that me and Steve are talking about is even displayed in the opening lines of the song. I just want to breathe, so please could you stop watching me? I mean, just those two lines, it gives this impression of, okay, someone's under a lot of stress or someone's
2: really nervous or anxious. And it adds to that tension that the instruments convey. So you kind of make me feel so lethargic, I need to breathe. This is a reiteration of the breathing, it does match up to the riffing, apprehensive nature of the track itself. So here's another point where they're just bringing all the
1: pieces together. But... It's just that one little thing I wanted more. Well, <laughs> it's just that one little thing. Also, a good portion of this track is written in five four, which can be a little cagey. Um, although I still find this pretty easy to groove to, I still, whenever anything is written in in five four, I always feel pretty tense. I don't know for some reason. That's just the way. This is the way it is about. Not not to say that like every single odd time time signature, I feel that way. I actually don't feel that way in seven, but I do in five. I don't know. It's something about it. And and they've made that choice choice a lot on their on their tracks. Um, And here it's no different, but to me that's a success in that it keeps me tense But I will admit there were there were little moments where I had to wonder But there's still always the vocals that I have to keep going back to especially around uh, the three-minute mark They're They're even bouncier than they were earlier. I just love this this whole frantic behavior Um, I also love the chord that they left that on Uh, there's something I think maybe a little bit more generalized in terms of the metal approach to this track and that may be what's keeping us a little off and that we're We're, you know, we're kind of used to the Godsticks uh, sound and there are parts of this that seem to recede a little back into Into metal it would still be the cream of the crop as far as metal is concerned, but I'm not just looking for metal I'm looking for Godsticks, so whenever there's that little that little uh That's if that's the little thing that you're missing John then I could definitely understand that um but, so what? They just use this as a chance to explore other things. There I still is, enjoyed the breakdown. There I, the is really that soft... really Ooh, that was a very intriguing piece. That recaptured my attention towards the end of the track. Yeah. It was... Where the instruments just kind of, like, stripped... At, you know, they always was, have that moment at the end of their tracks where everything just kind of cools off for a little bit. But this is but a, it a never different kind of,
2: This is a different kind of cool-off. Cool this wasn't a pause. This is almost a legit, executable breakdown yeah. for the track, which is... Honestly, a little mind-blowing to hear on this album so far. They're not doing something that's just a breakdown. It's usually a break apart or a legitimate you broke something kind of a thing. This is Bring It Back. This is a real legitimate breath of air that I was very, very welcome to.
1: Which I suspect was a a pretty good precursor for Track 5, All That Remains. Um, Just a little quick uh, exposition on the other the other side of of Godsticks which is of course their softer music and they really kind of do this rarely. There was only one track on the Godsticks album, even though, like, tracks like A Brief Foray were kind of soft and everything, it was really all about that last track and the way they ended it. Raised Concerns was one of the most beautiful closers to an album I have ever heard. Uh, Even when we were in correspondence, they sent me a little bonus track called Clinical, which I I don't know where that appeared, but Clinical was a pretty phenomenal track in of itself and also had kind of the same, really just soft down-to-earth, the more emotional, like all right, we just got this out of our system. We need to we need to now to get this out of our system. And it requires a much uh, lower degree of energy. And I thought this was a brilliant transition to do this instead in the middle of the album, instead of saving it for the end. Because just as they shocked us with the intro, now they're shocking us with this sudden break into this track five dead center, soft acoustic... Um, a signature track, a la Ray's concerns, a la Clinical. But nothing about this is courtesy. I want to make that clear. So all that remains is this kind of
0: breath, this moment to take a breath in the album, and it's this killer acoustic track. The way it starts, at least, it's just got, I mean, beautifully finger-picked, beautiful vocals. I mean, at this point, it's obvious that Darren Charles is kind of everything I want in a rock singer,
2: and he's on showcase here. This is... I want to say it's the best of Simon and Garfunkel brought to a modern age. There's an evolution this track goes through where you take the uh, standalone man with guitar and evolve it to actually build. This is one of the most subtle yet satisfying builds I've ever heard because it's going into a saunter, a, a flow that is just worthy of
1: of like the pinnacle of 1960s 70s classic rock. Uh, see, and this is where I only disagree just for the comparison's sake. I believe that Yes in its in its origin, that's where you probably started to find the the best fusion of folk and rock and they culminated in this very in the softer side of rock that no one had ever really heard before. That they began the precedent back in the 60s and 70s, but there's something about uh the, the, the three, three tracks that I'm referencing raise concerns onto Clinical, onto this, that just have a life unto itself, and it does Ring of God sticks, something that, that maybe I was starting to just, you know, lose a little bit in the previous track. This is entirely them, and it's a completely different side of them. Specifically, though, even maybe more than those two other tracks, this is really clean, as clean as they come. You can almost smell the steel and the nylon just, like, leaping out of these passages. If we're gonna go in, in a comparison sake, specifically for this track, and now I'm omitting the two others, I would perhaps compare this, uh, the, the the underlying figuration here, almost to like a Brazilian rhythm. At times it even reminded me of one of my favorite tracks by Asbutantes' Voce Sabe, off uh, O-A-E-O-Z, back in like 1972, which was this six minute long Munster, but it, it has that kind of, that tone in the guitar. Absolutely adored it, and yet still, it can be pretty dissonant. It's not wholly relaxing. there's always this this uh, this tension that persists even in their lighter work. And that I think is
2: the bass and the drums. as they're introduced and propagated, they add a modern element in their style and in their own lines in the, in the actual percussion and and beat line that evolves it into something modern. There's a very traditional feel and very traditional, ...stylistic choices in what the guitar is doing. Not just, like you said, As Mutantes or Simon & Garfunkel. There's, there's a lot of heritage here. But the, solid, uh, the solidity of the, of the percussion... ...and the interjection of the violin and the viola... ...the string arrangement around everything... ...really does a lot to change it from a classic rock... ...to a very modern alt rock... I I guess. all right,
1: well, let's just pull back here. But it's still metal. Let's pull back. When you find yourselves, when we find ourselves making references to uh, Simon and Garfunkel meets Osputantes, I don't think that was the intent. (laughs) I think they just arrived at this, and it was incredibly natural, and it was incredibly them. And I would, again, go back to the thing I referenced earlier. It's still all about Lydian here. That's what really defines their sound, uh, even though I don't mean to boil it down to just that simple trick. It really isn't that simple, but tone-wise... It helps, I, I think this is why they have a more mature sound to me. It helps to have some music background, it helps to at least know the modes, and it, and it helps to have, to find your voice within those modes. You settle into a scale that, that people just don't hear that much, and then all of a sudden you're standing out in a crowd. There's a realm of possibilities ahead of you. When um, you combine that with his voice and with the amazing audio quality, there's, just, there's no point in denying why this is, uh, why this, uh, is a standout track
0: beyond what is being heard, what's being said also in this track is standout-ish. It's just this, this story that and narrative that's clearly being conveyed because it's just him and the guitar in the beginning, and then you move on to something that's a little more built out, but still hearing his voice ringing through, it really just makes for a solid narrative that we've gotten before, but you're really focused on now because
1: you can hear every word he's saying. That said, there's still layers. I mean, there's still yes. other stuff going on in the background. It's not to say that this is so thin, you know, that it is just complete spotlight. It's not just guy and his and his guitar. That's it's again, it's not that simple. There's other things they use. For instance, this is the first time I ever heard uh, a female vocalist in the background. Um, I, I don't don't have the name on hand. But she was there. Keisha Louvain. Keisha Louvain. I'm sorry for butchering that one. And then there was also, uh, what were the instrumentals? We had a violin and and a viola. Maury McDonald did the arrangement, but there was a violin and a viola, both present. There we go. And that just added a whole new layer to this. Not just in terms of what we know from Godsticks, but but the flow of the album. Honestly, if this was any
2: sort of other metal album putting a song like this, it wouldn't work. It shouldn't work. The tone difference, the actual change of the way the music is being made. We're you mean going the hard shift from the previous track into this? Well, no. Just going from a heavy, electric-oriented album to acoustic to natural sounding should not work. Disagree. One of the most famous metal albums in history does that beautifully. And that's my point. There are very, very, very few
1: instances that this can be pulled oh. off. And I would say here it's masterfully done. I think we're on two separate points here, only because I, I feel like it is common. I feel like... What's the album you're referring to, uh, Metallica. And that's what I was thinking of, yeah. because Mal- Metallica set the precedent for that, and let's face it, a lot of me- uh, metal bands have done this since, so they've tried to do that, because but most doesn't... of them at least know that you need to have that breather, but not all of them do with the same presence of mind and with the same identity. A lot of time, I... it's just like, metal goes light, and you could boil it down to that, because it's, uh, it's just that cliche.
0: No, and I, w- I would concede to John's point that, yes, it doesn't happen often, but it has yeah. happened before, I guess was the point I
2: was
1: trying what to I see, yes. but that's That gets me into the specifics of what's going on here is that it's something a little bit different. It's not just like, okay, we need to relax, we need to take a breather. Instead, there's that ambiguity forged again by that whole, like, Lydian sound that was present in, in, earlier on, but instead more in the line of tension. Now this, it's more just like, it's like sitting back in a recliner and just feeling very, very confused about life. Let's look at some of these lyrics here. It's a common story that'll have you walking away. The facts I've kept pretty secret and details hazy, worried you will see through it. I've covered eyes with wool, tried giving you reasons, and warned in stages of what's coming. You say, famously, she roams and keeps us on our toes in some way. Do you really think I can walk out of this with pride? No point in denying she's always in sight. I feel I need some time. You keep on asking why. Stop messing around, because you don't know who you are to take me on. It's pretty beautiful, and it's very personal. You get a lot of this from uh, Darren's writing. Well, and also I think that that tension doesn't really go away in this track, even though the track
0: is slower and, and kind of, you know, and this acoustic track, you, there's still that tension
2: there. It's just delivered in a different way. It's, that personal factor comes across because it's not shrouded in a lot of the metaphors that we got previously. Yeah, okay, wool over eyes and things like that, but he's talking directly to us about what happened and this everything's personal but this this is him actually breaking down and and no longer hiding himself
1: even if you don't know the specifics of his inner psyche that that is what i just read the, the part of the verses you get it certainly in the chorus which is my favorite part of this track i mean the chorus is is phenomenal it's all that needs to be said when you begin first of all there's this awesome unison between uh the slaps on the acoustic right during the pickup which actually begins the, the words of the chorus all that remains to say is i don't want you calling round moving on is really not allowed maybe someday i will come around I, that's just freaking gorgeous. First of all, that the, the the pace in which he reads this, and the chords that 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 uh that overlay it. Uh, for instance, one of my favorite parts here is actually the bass part over these exact words, because just as he says, all that remains to say is I don't want you calling round, and just at the moment that he says is I don't want you calling, and then the bass creeps up here with this little C sharp, D sharp, F sharp. Now we started off in E, and then he just the bass dips down there to the relative minor, and I absolutely love that hint at the relative minor. They skirt it. They don't go for it. They don't stay there. They come right back to E major. That's an impression. It's not a specific emotion, and that's the ambiguity that makes them special as a group. Um, again, this whole album just seems to like highlight the ambiguity that matters, but this time with a little bit more uh, unsettledness than maybe the previous album. A lot more angst coming out. We'll use that word. Angst doesn't even come close. I know it doesn't. Day, well, first of all, it's, a, it's it's very adult angst. I think if you're having these problems when you're a teenager, that would be horrible. It's just aggression. It's not even yeah. angst. It's, it's just aggressive, aggression.
2: It's aggressive depression. Well, sure. Okay. Why, Why not? I also just I like the
1: plainness of the matter. All yeah. that remains to say is I don't want you coming around. You know, there's... Maybe there's no ambiguity in that line in particular. That seems pretty affirmative. But, you know, th- moving on is really not allowed. There's all these, like, hints at what could obviously come of the aftermath. Sure. You know? And, and there's a self-awareness of that, which is why it's very mature. And certainly angst is not the proper word. Yes. Um, that makes it actually rougher. Because, you know, angst is the kind of thing that's just like, ah, come on, pff, young love, you'll get over it. This is rougher. This is, like, things that damaging. may... Yeah, damaging, exactly. These are the things you're going to think about for years. <laughs> That's horrible. (laughs) Sorry, Darren. (laughs) On that note, we go to track six, Hopeless Situation.
0: And this is where we go back into the heavy sound we've been getting on the earlier part of the record. We come out of this kind of pacing moment to get hit back in the face with guitars,
2: drums, and so on. But the verses felt a little... Rehashed is not the right word. Reminiscent is probably a little more accurate. This was... A little disappointing because, yeah, it's heavy again, and it's great, and it's masterful, and there's a lot going on, and I'm enjoying it, but the previous track set my expectations a little bit too high, going right back into Hopeless Situations.
1: And this is where I think uh, a little critique of yours, which was lurking in the background throughout most of our um, our in-person listen, was starting to maybe hold some water because of the fact of how, how they, you know how they structured this album. From here, from the beginning to here, to the center point, I think it was brilliant. And it didn't really seem to show any, any errors, any faults. It was, it was completely bold. Every single move they were making was bold. But now it is the question of, well, what are you going to do next? They managed to, I think, uh, avoid that problem with a br- one brilliant choice after the other. But then here at Hopeless Situation, consider the title of which it happened, uh, it just seems as if there's a little bit of a, a plateau being reached. We go back to the whole like, 5-4 intro, this has that irresistible rocking back and forth, uh, that sort of sway that the envisaged Conundrum did uh, as the title track of the previous album. And then, of course, you have the melody, Darren's voice is in rare form, a little bit of a higher register, more toward the falsetto, but not quite there. And, uh, yeah, my only critiques in this is that it was just another hold the tension kind of track, which well, meant that we're, psychologically, I think artistically, we're back to the same idea, is that well, you're not going to release that ambiguity with a with uh, just one track. In fact, I don't think the previous track released that at all. It was just another side of the coin. This, in fact, is more dire, hopeless situation. So you expect to be thrown back into the mix, but from a musical perspective it can be a little bit like, alright, well, it, where, where is the evolution of the story? You just have to suffer through the the, the monologue that is the album, which is rough. There is one thing that the
2: falsetto did, or the approaching falsetto did vocally, in the chorus that near falsetto was approaching happy in the tone, in, in the idea, but the delivery kept it depressed, kept it lost, kept it almost like the main character was still aimless, and it's perfectly paired with uh, the chorus's lyrics themselves. It's the hopeless situation that makes us so riled. We hang on the words. You say offend all our kind. It's the hopeless situation that makes us so riled.
1: Stay if you want. I'll be gone for some time. I don't think I picked up on the happy uh, within that. Obviously, you couldn't pick up that from the lyrics. But I will say that maybe it was the higher register that that's he sings exactly in it. that made you feel a little bit more lighthearted about the matter. But I just think that the the, the reasoning for it is that well, when you're You're a little more desperate, and therefore you go higher when you're desperate. I would even say that it's almost a resignation
2: to the situation itself. It already is hopeless. He knows it's hopeless. He's going for that. So, the actual stress and tension gets subtly relieved in these choruses. It gets backed off. It's not as deep and depressing as we had in the previous parts of the album. There's not hope but it's not true despair anymore because of the acceptance.
0: Yeah. I'd say that there's not a full release, but there's a coming towards that direction. I feel exactly. like it. it's still... There's still that tension, because the tension pretty much carries through to the end of the record. Spoiler alert. I'm pretty confident to say. As we go through it, we'll talk more in detail. But at least at this point, it's still there. But I feel like, yes, he's there are realizations being made that make the tension kind of uh, fracture of it.
2: Yeah. And That's- it was... Another situation where there was a bit of a drop and a rebuild of uh, with the bass and the drums throughout the song uh, sectionally that did do something a little bit different that did break up the the tension itself. But that said, it still wasn't it still wasn't the, the the same oomph as we got in the previous parts of the album. It it still wasn't the same level because I think maybe a little bit too much release was put in there. I mean, I think the most cliche way I can put it is that this was
0: missing that little je ne sais quoi, that something that we got in the previous tracks, just not really here,
1: but it doesn't really, it's not to the detriment of the track. The track is still good, it's just missing that little extra thing. I think I can define what the je ne sais quoi is, uh, but unfortunately I do have to define it in terms of the previous album, which sure. is uh, the faux pas I said I wasn't gonna pull, well, I'm gonna pull it. I really do hate comparing, but just for the sake of making this point, I find myself, I think, comparing the style of this track to Submergence in the fact that Submergence on Invisited Conundrum also kind of kept this very tense riff going for like a 5-4, you know, over and over again. Uh, This very piano-dominated structure, which persisted throughout the song, um, except maybe in the chorus, and then it culminates in a 7-4 solo, which was one of the tightest, most enveloping solos I'd yet heard up to that point owing maybe to its rigidity, favoring eighth notes just, like, straight throughout, or sixteenth notes straight throughout. And I thought that was a wildly new structure um, because it was also born out of the melody, but it had to do, I think, because of that that piano line, which sort of livened up the tone a little bit. You don't really have that here. Um, instead, it's really just that that rock sound that kind of keeps it away from the warmth that was that sort of filled up that album. I mean, just forgetting the musical specifics, I think that the structures of th- that album and-, and that track's place, I think, the these t- two tracks place in their respective albums are comparable, but the piano in one may have made that riff uh, in its track a little bit more palatable. Uh, otherwise, I think maybe even it in would have been equally as overbearing but it's not as it, this maybe can be a little bit overbearing just because you lack that light hearted tone these are little subtle things you know that, de- that define uh, the more memorable tracks from the less memorable tracks this one it, it didn't reach me in the same way but it's still, it's still a great rock track it's still sure. a great metal track it's just these are all the things that keep us from going head headfirst into it from here we go to track
0: 7 1% that's the track is number 7 and the title is 1% in case you were confused. Um, this intro gives way to what was kind of, for the first time on the record, a controlled chaos. The instrumentation felt like a mishmash at
2: first that kind of gives way to this more rock sound. The guitar is a prickly beast that, that really doesn't know what it wants to do with the rest of the instrumentation in this intro. It's... it's, it's refusing. It's a cat
1: that doesn't want to get back in the house. Well, or you got two like guitars. You got the guitar and the riff, and then you got the leading guitar. The and lead lead there's two That's separate instruments. First of cat. all, just talking about the riff, I really like the way it just kind of like hugs the flat five here, of course, still keeping tension. Um, but then just prior to the leading guitar, it seemed to harken more toward an older metal sound. This is the first track where I really felt like we had kind of been thrown back about ten years. But I was okay with that, as a, as a singular reference. Um, but then finally, when we get the leading guitar... That is very Godsticks, and I love the mystery that surrounds it. Even just on the first note of that leading guitar, I love the interval. This 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 flat six that it forges, and that again is with respect to the riff. I think the riff was on E, and now here we are on C. So yeah, right flat. Love that flat six, and then out from there we go into the verses. Still pretty, just kind of coasting at this point. I I I had no issues with this. Uh, An interesting choice though on their part was during when I could maybe call the hook a. It's hard to say. It sounded as if he was, like, speaking through a CB radio. That's how you uh, described it earlier. And I, I remember that. It's an interesting observation because, first of all, Darren doesn't really tend to do that. He doesn't use his vocalizers in any, in any capacity, and this is the first time I heard it. But it was a nice choice. Yeah, I
0: mean, it did really kind of sound like a CB radio or some kind of staticky vocalization device. And we don't hear that a lot. Usually his creamy smooth vocals come through
1: it's, and it's more crisp. than enough. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was an interesting choice, I think. It's also paired with the lyrics one of these days we will not be found. One of these days we'll be underground.
1: I mean, imagery dripping Aesthetics right there too. for what he's doing with his voice. Well, even taking the comparison that I saw like in the riff and how it reminded me of like, you know, hard rock bands from like, you know, ten, twenty years ago, it, it it's almost as if like in this one moment through with that C B radio effect, because that seems like the kind of thing that they would do also. And I can't I can't like throw any names off the back, I just feel like I've I've heard this particular style before. But that was something, even amidst my my issues in those in that those bands and in that era, that was something I actually always kind of liked. And I, I like that reference, if indeed it's a reference at all.
0: I also like how instrumentally this track kind of jumps around. Previously in tracks they have kind of this kind of chaotic flow and you know from point a to point b to point c here they kind of jump a bit and i like that i like that the instruments kind of have these harsh shifts it kind of adds another interesting dynamic to an already very interesting song
2: but the riff doesn't let the lead be it doesn't let the lead guitar like take center stage it, it stays very present sexual uh, sectionally so we don't really get a lot of the experimentation of the previous tracks we don't get
1: a lot of the the challenging aspect of Godsticks that we got in the previous tracks. Um, I don't know if it has anything to do with anything less challenging. I think that's the real distinction you have to make: is that regardless how you're going to approach these tracks in tone, uh, they're just as challenging. They're just as intricate. In fact, they might even be more showy. It depends. Um, but I will say that from his for his vocals, they definitely are less melodic here. Um, while melodies are a strength, I do think he captured something new on this album uh which he didn't really do in the previous which is really that rhythmic style. I've mentioned it several times in earlier tracks here on this album and this time it seems like he's favoring that entirely, constantly just like bouncing around um very much uh, sometimes even doubling the uh, the the guitars themselves if they're bouncing around. I I kind of like that. I I thought it was uh I don't know, it's a new side, it's a new approach. What really got to me though was the fact that
2: this song is just full of content lyrically. It may be the most amount of uh, words on any of the <laughs> tracks and it's great because it's always guessing. It's not a very well, extended chorus that we got in a lot of the other tracks. It's because he's
1: always bouncing around sometimes like, you know, at really bullet speeds that he's able to sort of fit all this in. And it's easy to gloss over that if for instance you're just focused on the riff, but he packs a punch lyrically. Do you force me to be pushing towards
2: obscurity, and you just close the door, drowning out our constant pleas? I don't know why you won't meet my gaze, and I don't know why, why I'm in this rage. Because if I don't need, if I do not need, then why rely on you to
1: rescue me? <laughs> it's, oh, I
2: don't even, I, I, I don't even know I'm how to inclined. take this. I'm it's... inclined
1: almost to really use the word angst for that, because that's, uh, I mean, th- he's, that's just pure frustration. Yeah. You know?
0: I think that something he conveys as a singer that's very interesting to me that you don't hear a lot. There's, I don't want to go listing names, naming singers, rather, but with Darren Charles specifically. Yeah, go ahead,
1: put him in the spotlight. <laughs> I'm kidding.
0: I get a sense vocally from him and emotionally that I haven't gotten from a singer in a while. But the last singer I really attached to with that was Lane Steele, who was the late singer of Allison Chains. And the comparison for me is not so much in, in style and even sound, which is there but mostly just in the emotional conveyance you know whether you're dragging out the notes or you're going high or going low there's a ton of emotion in every word he says and this track especially because he's forcing so much content in to get it in and add to that tension, you really get a sense of his vocals and the delivery here.
1: This is why I said earlier, you know, that it's not, it doesn't just boil down to that one simple trick, like, oh yeah, use Lydian, sing in Lydian, that's gonna be your melody. It's not just that. That, sure, that forges a very unique emotion, which is probably reaching out to you, I think, on some level. But then, in addition to that, it is his inflection, it's his execution, it's every single time he hits a note, he can belt it. He has so much lung power, and he almost maintains that for the duration of, of the album. There's really not a lot of Receding, except maybe like uh, just on that one track, um, all that remains. Which, frankly, I think he still even kept it going. It's everything else that recedes. He doesn't recede. Uh, but there's even more elements. Like beyond that, it's it is about like the way he holds the note. It's about the the notes uh, that I said he chooses to hold and and their uh, position within the scale. This is why, you know, just to, is a little anecdote on my part. Um, recently, I saw a Beethoven concert. Now, Beethoven, wonderful composer, shitty me- melodicist, like really crappy. I just want to <laughs> say, just think of some like common Beethoven melodies. Yeah, it goes, yeah, da-da-da-da. That's the melody. All right, another one, second movement, uh, second, seventh symphony. da 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 that's it. That's basically that, recreated n- numerous times throughout that movement. Uh, the first one I sang, that's uh, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, same thing, repeated multiple times throughout the entire symphony. Please send all of your hate mail to Steve Nagel at, at crashchords.com. Thank <laughs> you, I'd appreciate it. Key thing here, wonderful composer. What he does with that those short little bits of melodic material, if you could even call it that, is reinvent them in a million different ways. But to say, you know, nothing for his full-on melodic abilities, they're not really that, that great. Darren Charles blows him out of the water, and he blows just about everyone else we've looked at out of the water, because it's his skill. It's something he's honed, and it's why we're able to, to hone in on that emotion and, and follow the story despite whatever else is going on in the background. The fact that there's so much else going on in the background, frankly, is, uh, is almost besides the point, because that is the narrative. Personally, I felt like
0: Beethoven really didn't come into his own until he started doing disco then then he really found his way thanks i, I
2: appreciate your insight matt you're, as always you're welcome and this track races with one of i i feel like this should be like the iconic line of the album because it's just so freaking powerful yeah and the, the song punches at the end too it's a race to be one of a kind even though we are feeding this bottomless pit Dude, that, like, <laughs> if you want to summate.
1: Well, you're waiting for the reaction there. If you, if
2: you want to make a summation of society, there you go. And that then, is the darkest look at society I've heard of in a
0: very long time. And, of course, the song culminates with a very heavy outro, too, which reflects
1: that final line. Here's, here's the key mm. thing, though. I, if we're going to, like... It's fun interesting that we're talking about this, because the funny thing about where the rest of this track lies, and now I'm not talking about generalizations, I think this track... It ends in in indeterminate places. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time, a lot of the time, we're just hopping around different sections and we're and we're modulating them in in you know subtle little variants. It, it's another one of those tracks that withholds. It doesn't give you what you want or what you need at every single instance. And music shouldn't do that. I think artistically, that's a really good choice on his part. But this track really is is. Is tough at some point. I, I love a lot of things about it, but it always feels like it's just aimless. In fact, even within the uh, the lyrics themselves, it feels like it's aimless. That's the goal here. You just have to be ready for it. As far as the tail end of this album is concerned, he's he's already shown you his cards in 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 uh, in various different forms earlier on in the album. Now he's going to kind of throw you down the rabbit hole. We don't have the same heights that we tended to get previously. The depth still not about
2: heights. It's about it's about uh, impressions. Ex- and I think the bass is doing that, but the guitar is not doing it the same way. Not until the outro where we start going from to soft and high and really start hitting a very dynamic range between the two the
1: outro I mean well that's the thing the outro we really get two outros he can't even decide on that even that is left ambiguous we get this like ethereal keyboard at the very end and the tone of this is absolutely beautiful but then immediately following that you'd think that'd be the end and then we're just on to the next track nope. nope then we get the really big outro where he Which just rocks what I was our talking about yeah. yeah he rocks our socks off for the end um, it, it just, it's, it's indicative of a conscious indecisiveness or, yeah. again, that sort of frantic behavior but completely reimagined in this track.
0: I would say that is all complete with intention, and it's apparent at this point when yeah. we get to the end. From here we go to track eight, Emergence, the title track.
2: Or, according to the jacket orange, which I found to be extremely curious, because I don't know if either of these words actually relate to the content of the lyrics, but we'll get into that. So, uh,
0: we should say at this point that we, the lyrics we have been reading is from the Dust Jacket of the actual CD, which they do have as a PDF online, which I think is fantastic, and yeah, all it was, bands it was should awesome. do that. Yeah,
1: uh, it's pretty amazing. Um, also, everyone, despite the fact that God Sticks asks for extremely little money to purchase that al- this album, we hope you'll find it in your hearts to give more than what they require. Please do, especially if you find that you like it by all means listen to it and if you
0: don't like it i guess move on but if you really enjoy it as much as we do please give them that money because yeah. they deserve
1: it they're a fantastic band moving F- on a and- little factoid this as the title track is the same exact distance from the end of this album as the uh, previous album's title track was from the beginning of the album three. also i'm sure with intention yes three tracks from the end three tracks deep so, this, this song,
0: Emergence, starts with this kind of dirgy intro, which we really hadn't gotten to this point, kind it's, of dragging
2: it's, a, its murky. It's a guitar version of uh, Bell Doth Toll, kind of an introduction. Yeah. It's, it has <laughs> more going to it than just a single note ringing
1: out, but it still has that same sort of punctuation in its rhythm. And, I mean, I don't know, for all these reasons, I think this is another one of those tracks that, it's a, it's a long one, and it could probably rival just about any perennial metal band that I could think of. Yeah. It's a, it's... Especially just,
0: once it starts moving after the intro, yeah. it, it becomes this head-banging monster. You haven't really gotten to this point. The songs were fast before, but you're really like, I, I could mosh to this.
1: Yeah. Pretty effectively. Lots of, like, lightning speed triplets here. um, Almost kind of referencing the runs that the previous track sort of left us on. We sort of begin with that, and it's it's much more in your face. Uh, By the time we reach 55 seconds in, roughly, the guitar at this point starts doing that sort of jumping around thing, but it, it... it's a little bit more personable it's not just hopping around aimlessly this time it's 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 almost demonic it has the character of like this demonic creature of course we have little buzzwords in here like sinister and things like that um so you almost feel as if this is the creature from the front cover that we finally uh we finally arrived at and now we're seeing him emerge from the the paper mache
0: i think it's also worth saying that this is one of the longer intros that stay, remains instrumental on the album, the lyrics don't come until a little after a minute, it,
1: so it allows this instrumentation to breathe, which I really like. I, I think the this this guitar is does begin those simultaneously with that those uh, vocals, yes. and that's that is about a minute in, yeah.
0: But I just like where that goes, and it allows you to kind of get sucked into this heaviness before we get some
2: lyrics and vocals. And then we get the the furious flurries getting interspersed with the somber elements we got in the very beginning. It starts becoming the major theme of. This A section, and here's where I want to point out something. This is one that is actually definable with an A, B, C kind of a section piece. Sure. Because the A section, the verse section, it has a a dual nature going on to it. But by the time we get to the the, the chorus, it, it does have a tonal shift that I found, I guess, more palpable. What I
0: like, though, is that this track is also conveying instrumentally an unrest that we alluded to through all the other
1: tracks and all of that tension, you still have that sense of tension and unrest in this track. That tension is exactly what can kind of maybe conceal the fact, you know, that this is either a verse chorus structure, or perhaps what John is saying in A, B, C. I think this is why I love and analysis, and this is why I love... Godstick's tracks are perfect uh, samples for and analysis and really treating it as such. Uh, You approach it, and you're like, I don't know, is that that what the center, is that where the spotlight is? But because they can be so cagey with each and every section, and... uh, of, you know, the lack of resolution, so to speak, you don't necessarily feel that as the capitulation. You don't feel that as the return. Um, I kind of started to see what John is referring to as the A and B as a more mutual verse, an an elongated verse after a while, both of which are very cagey, but except in in B we start to even get more clenched up it's where you start to really that that demonic uh motif starts to really come to fruition in in a much bigger way but the b prime
2: which is yeah there's like another answer to that that clarifies that actually airs itself out it 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 loses no complexity but it loses some clutter so, that could almost be the
1: point of emergence. That might be the personification of this title. Yes and no. I kind of felt that that was what I was briefly calling C, which is really more of just the, the decisive end. Uh, that's really a, a decisive modulation, it seems, uh, that finally starts to, like, resolve itself. And I I, I think I, I could call that about uh, two minutes, 50 seconds in, somewhere around that. It, it's just... It seems like that is the crux point that this album has been building up to. Um, So I think that's the moment. I think that's the release in what I would call C, or we'd call the chorus, if you even have a chorus there, because from there, we just seem to go on to a solo. Um, There doesn't really seem to be much substance there. That's just the final shift. I think
0: that unrest that I was talking about earlier is also conveyed very heavily in the lyrics. I mean, there's a lot of questions in the song. There's a lot of this or that, and I think that... What Steve's talking about really does come to fruition when you bring everything together in this yeah. track.
1: and it's not, to, to mend my statement, it's not that there's, like, no substance. I mean that there's not, like, a section there. Instead, it's a culmination. You visualize it as a culmination and not so much as a section.
2: We're bruised. That's why there is no fight. There will be a meltdown before we die. It's not that easy, but we have sworn there will be a fallout to ease the storm. And then into this beast section needs to be looked at soon who is the innovative force that can break down walls all too easily can we get through it all or will we the weaker just become dependent on force is it a failure just to say do what it takes you don't know how it breaks you the menacing new
1: feuding new fights this dude. This almost see this comes across as stream of consciousness writing right here. I'm sure a lot of thought went into it, but the, the, I I like that that style. I like the the manner of sort of just going through all the questions yeah. and you're just questioning as you go. You don't really come to any conclusions it doesn't seem. New feuding, new fights, that's why whenever it takes you, it always makes you the limited, murdering your ruined pride. See that in the war, they fall. See that in the war, we must begin to wage the war. That part, see that in the war, they fall, that's when the vocals
2: become frickin' angelic. Yeah. It goes from tumultuous to to really an extremely high range. That honestly, it has a sort of childlike nature, but childlike horror. You can't really see it as an adult. It's it's more removed because you're still not quite able to process it. It's so hmm. out there. It's, it's a beautiful way to put it. That's that C-section. That's when it hits full force. And that's when
1: it really just gets just imagination. That's a... It's a support and interpretation. Are we getting into your mind or Darren's mind? I can't figure that out yet. Sure. Okay. Sure. <laughs> Just leave it as it is. Yes.
0: The but answer I, is yes. But what I like is after that point, the resolution the song comes to is like the outro, especially the guitar in the outro, feels like the narrator continuing, even though no more words are being said, it's kind of leading us on this path in this story that's culminated in the
2: lyrics. All said and done, musically, this as as I want to call it, the A B B prime C solo is a behemoth. Yeah, but it's a behemoth that gets repeated, and that's the one little drawback. Because I think a reimagination of it would have probably broken my ears. It, it would have been amazing to hear like a, a, a straight up, just just transformation to this piece. But I think the that's structure, decade, as it
0: is. It was important to the structure of the track. I feel like, while that's
2: true... It's the only thing I wanted, though. That's the only thing I probably could have wanted on this this song.
0: And I hear that. I just think, for me, because of how this was set up, especially from a narrator's point of view, I think the structure was poignant
1: to that story. Well this is always the tough section like I said we always tend to get a little bit more uh, critical toward the end of albums and not every album can have a border stomp trilogy to just kind of like dominate the discussion. That's also true. Let me
2: just say my, my complaint is the mammoth behemoth awesomeness didn't wasn't fit. awesome enough It did, no 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 it, it was but
1: it didn't get better that's right. my
2: complaint it, it was so awesome but it, it didn't, didn't get actually better. get better so. fair enough I suppose
0: that there's a complaint to have that's <laughs> what, not what, a bad what one.
1: minute decimal is that worth <laughs> I don't, I don't find even out, know find that point. out in the, so, uh, in the wrap up
0: track 9 and track 10 are together uh, track 9 is a minute and 7 second intro to track 10 the final track on the record yeah. so track 9 is leave or be left which when this song kicks in the bass intro to this, this the bass intro
1: to the intro was really intense. This was something new. This, yeah. was, see, I, I, I definitely will admit that my a lot of my uh, critiques for the last few tracks in a row have been the fact that they were just they weren't quite as experimental. They picked a groove, and that was kind of the sound that they wanted this album to have. But with these exceptions, and this is one of these exceptions, the bass steps forward with this. It, it's just so mind-numbingly crisp, but at the same time, it'll probably br- blow your subwoofer out of uh, out of whack. It, it's it's. Pretty cool. It's also like in a, a quick three-four. Maybe it's a three-eight, and you h- hear it as this, this, this kind of round. Although it might be interspersed with various little measures of of, of two-four also. So you always get those little bit of those little gaps. But I I really love the way this this built. It was a the first textural. Um, uh, innovation on this album, I think, in a while, and then it finally culminates in the drone that yeah. just leads us out and into lack of scrutiny. This track was
2: was for me the actual definition of building hype. Yeah, this was this was the rousing
1: track. This is really curious. This is what convergence was for the previous album. Yeah, yeah.
2: and and this is something that you just don't really hear. Like you get minute long, minute and a half long interludes. This is an interlude. This is that minute. Minute and a half, two minutes on stage, you see blackness, you see a a backdrop outline of the performer coming forward, personified in music, yeah, which is freaking wicked.
0: It it, just the way it built and the other instruments coming in, the guitar, you know, the drums, just kind of ramping up and ramping up this this growing adrenaline rush that then just ends. And then we go into Lack of Scrutiny, I think is fantastic. If it had just transitioned straight, there would have been no impact. But because it builds and builds and builds and builds and then crashes to an end and then goes into the next track, I think it gives
2: perspective. And, of course, that final track is track 10, Lack of Scrutiny. This is Smooth Criminal, which is one (laughs) one of my favorite riffs of all time. But this is the heavy metal version of it. And it Once is, you said that, too, oh boy, I really it heard it. right I did. There. It's very close. It, it's
0: the quick drum and the quick guitar work that start the song that really kind of gives this relentless feel that Smooth Criminal, when it's done as a fast rock track, would have. And I think that really kind
2: of gives an even bigger punch than it could have already had. This furious guitar can't contain its power at this point. It's It's... It can not contain the freedom it feels in doing whatever the heck it wants in this introduction.
1: I don't think the guitars and the drums have ever been more refined, perhaps, in this album. This is at least their most uh, refined state. There's lots of trading off uh, between different guitar lines. And then about 50 seconds in, we finally do uh, get vocals after that prolonged intro. Um, but to be honest, I think I'm more interested in the guitar line in this case than I was in the vocals. That's sort of like bending upwards, almost like a whine as the guitars do over the vocals, um, or behind the vocals rather, and then they sort of fall down. It, it was a very, it was a very unique piece of figuration. Again. Uh, uh, kudos to textural innovation. Well, I think also
0: what really helps build the texture of this track also is the that this song actually has some horn work that really kind of fleshes it out. And what I like about the horn work, trumpet and trombone to be specific, um, it just really kind of gives it a, 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 you know, there's not a ton of horn work on the whole album, not that I'm aware of, but but here you can really hear it, and it kind of gives this other
1: perspective and fleshes out this well that's always the key piece. thing. it is always better i think it's always a good thing for every band to probably try out some session musician here and there, just as what the violin did for all that remains you know' it's It's, it's helpful and it's something that 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 maybe was lacking on the last album but uh you could either you know do a lot with what you have or you can bring in what you need at every uh at any period of time that shows a kind of um uh, insatiability
2: <laughs> <laughs> the guitar, though, after it departs when the vocals step in, does make reappearances, yeah. does show up from time to time to remind
1: us it's still there. And I love its cagey nature. Well, especially uh, in the pre-chorus, I-, I noticed that the guitar was favoring more of like an. Ad- Egyptian, like, Middle Eastern scale, and it's not even something I really noticed in the first round, on the first listen, but it really started to, to to peak out later, and that kind of gave a whole new, um, feel to this track, uh, also, because, well, on one hand, you got a lot of Lydian thing. This, for the last track, we end on a completely different note. Um... And I think that is also pretty analogous, right? His concerns sort of switched the mood up at the tail end of the previous album.
0: Well, I like th- what I like about this as a conclusion track also is I'm not going, well, this is what I expected for a conclusion. Like, There's nothing bad.
1: There's not even a no, not even discussion. No, not even
0: a... This is just another track that happens to be the last track, and I kind of like that. They're just kind of going out with a bang. Well, I really well,
1: wondered it's... why they were favoring that that um, that sort of Egyptian scale there in the background. It, it's, it's an odd emotion to go for, which made me really wonder about the lyrics, which is why I'm glad they provided for us, because I can't always pick them up separately
2: on my own i discover that i have no soul i begin to question why because i have been reading all the signs can i force my way or is it difficult to keep this cloud at bay isn't it a shame that i realize that i ain't gonna change
1: oh and there it is
2: (laughs) this is this is like the most metal they really get lyrically. This is the most metal musically that they're getting on the album. Eh, I don't know
1: if you can really define metal lyrics so. I easily. I think you can. Some well, all right. Some brands, some the brands. feel. But when you start, but I don't know talking, if this is the brand.
2: When, when okay, when you start talking about losing your soul, never having a soul, it's you're right there. That's. That kind of is a, a shtick of metal. Well,
0: but if you're talking about the cliche is, devil well, worshipy metal, sure. Yeah, yeah let's, exactly, is, let's
1: forget about. The, I mean, the, the comparison here. It's just someone pouring his heart out here, and and if that's the conclusion that we've reached, frankly, after uh, an album that really hasn't led us to believe we were going to get anything positive. Like it wasn't just mean. And love comes your way. It <laughs> doesn't. It doesn't work out that way. That's. It's not God (laughs) sticks. No.
0: What I like about this track also instrumentally is it kind of ebbs and flows. There are gradual shifts in certain sections. And that the the skipping guitar that we heard earlier in the album that I favored so highly, even though it was in brief moments, comes back here. Not in the same way, but it's still jumping those notes. And I like this kind of uh, pinpoint precision that the guitar work is doing. It really is very engaging and pulls me in. I think also it adds to this kind of... Franticness of this album as it picks up and revs up and kind of
1: throws things all over. Beyond that, just like the, the real, like the closing lyrics of this, what is it you figure I need? I mean it. You don't please me now and I want you to know it. Please take care of me. What is it you figure I need? I mean it. You don't please me now and I want you to know it. Please turn off the TV and listen to me because I need your patience. Time to face the root of all my fears. Now, just on that line, what is it you figure I need that that is about as as desperate of a line as I could possibly imagine, and I've had to deal with this with friends before who were really, like really in that position, be like, what am I missing what is what is that thing? What is it that you know that I don't have at the moment, and you just almost like ask people at the stake of desperation because well, how do you fix what is wrong with you? You need to know what it is first, you need to know how to logically go about it if indeed you can actually take a logical approach. I thought that was a very harrowing end uh to this to this particular album um i don't know if i don't know if that qualifies as a conclusion it just qualifies as the biggest question of them all
2: and what's even more intriguing is the way it's presented it's not an earnest question there's a little bit of sarcasm in his delivery he doesn't actually want this is an argument he's starting an argument at the end of the album which is just freaking great, because I want to hear the blow-up, but we don't get it. It's you don't that- get
0: the resolution. This album ends without the resolution, and I freaking love it.
2: It's, it's kind of like, uh, I believe it was The Sopranos, when they actually finished the series <laughs> or something like that, had a moment where they just cut to black at the yeah, very yeah, end of it. Yeah, everybody knows that. It's a this famous is- finisher.
1: Yeah, I've never actually seen the series, but who doesn't
2: know the ending? But that, that sort of a thing is the, like the, the ultimate cliffhanger. He's giving us a cliffhanger in the form of just the lyric delivery and in some ways in the actual form of the last note of the album. I mean it does It, it there's a,
0: a great instrumental interlude section at, towards the end with great go- guitar solo work and it you know as technical as they've been on the whole record they're here as well
1: but then it's another solo that embellishes, I think, on that Eastern influence. Yeah. Uh, and maybe that's the ambiguity. Just step completely out of their ballpark, and that's how you know you approach uh, but, ambiguity.
0: Well, well, an album like this with such big questions would end on a fade out. This fade out is not your typical
1: fade out because it's not a constant. Yeah, yeah, note don't, you being don't play playing. into the sunset. There's a final note, and you let it. They just it hold
0: ring. it as long as they can.
1: Yeah, and I and I think as that long really as they'll pick it
0: up. Considering the structure of this album and the, kind of the way it's felt. Ending with an ambiguous kind of nature in the lyrics and then that kind of ambiguous hold a note until it's done and then you're done because you're done. Ending kind of really
1: solidifies an arc that this album is trying to create. Yeah, we can't... Unfortunately, we can't... um propose a drinking game at the end of the podcast and say how many times do we say ambiguous. That's right exactly. Um, no, I mean, have, we can we re well, re okay. input that I don't know.
2: Ambiguous isn't always the
1: the very No it's not. There are a way, lot of cuz this is really is ambiguous There are a lot of concise statements I yeah. think uttered on this album. Uh it's just unfortunately all of those concise statements are are assertions of not knowing. Or just very metaphorical. ambiguous. <laughs> sure. They're just
2: very metaphorical in some ways, because you don't know why he's angry or sad or depressed or yeah. numb or well, all, it all it to, those things. Leave you it just can't understand Leave it to God's tics to assert I mean, that they don't know. Well, there are pronouns
0: mentioned in lyrics. It's just not always, they're not always mentioning pronouns. It's Sometimes always
2: I and you. And this conversation that, per, that really is pervasive in the album the I and you creates the the theme, the arc, the story because I, the actual singer, knows the same things as who he's talking to. So he doesn't have to explain the problems. We don't have to get the concrete play-by-play, song-by-song. That's what lends to the ambiguity in the album. We don't have a reference point to the where he or she or they broke up, came back together, or maybe they were cheating, one was cheating, the other was cheating, who cares? There's no definitive the reasons album, for these emotions. I think
1: the album in many ways functions as like a fly on the wall to these events, you know? And what does it, what can kind a of fly understand, you know, of uh, of human emotion? But yet you observe it. You know, you're always there, you're probably listening to entire conversations. Flies do that. But they do not don't grasp it entirely. Uh, you really, flies don't understand us. I don't know. Maybe some flies. I don't know all flies. <laughs> I don't know all
0: flies. All right, what's well, right, confusing right. about that? No, that's fair. All all right. It's true. <laughs> 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 uh, um, I think this is
1: a good point for us to start wrapping up, shall we? Not it. <laughs> I'm obviously not it. You're, you're, oh. You're well, well a... that's true. It's not technically my pick, but no, I feel like it is t- in person. Ah, t- oh, come on, give me this.
0: All right, I'll give you this. I'll start our wrap up. Um, I do want to say at this point that. um... God Sticks is one of those albums that I kind of cherished for multiple of lo- reasons. One of them is that it was Steve's pick and he brought it on. It's one of the, It was one of the earliest records that Steve brought on that I absolutely fell head over heels for. I mean, Steve don't always have lining up tastes in music. And in the early weeks and months we were doing this, you rarely had lining up tastes in music. And for him to bring I, something on... I think that was on, the challenge that we were proposing to
1: ourselves. Yeah. Pretty yeah.
0: much. And when he brought this on, I really identified it on a level I thought I couldn't. And it's because that first album that we reviewed really reminded me of a bygone time of music that you don't really hear anymore the grunge movement specifically because it did have more similarities to grunge because it had more lighter stuff it wasn't as heavy as this record and I, I love grunge I've been listening to grunge since I started listening to music I mentioned Alice in Chains earlier who are one of my favorite bands Unfortunately,
1: though they're still making music, not with the same lead singer. We had a hefty debate uh, in that episode, episode 51, on whether gr- there was indeed a grunge influence. But... Right. And, and it's just it's, all for impressions. M-
0: it's for me, is this band reminds me of music that I didn't think I would get again, and I think that's what makes them so palpable. Um, that said, let's not fo- lo- uh, focus on the past anymore and talk about the present. Let's talk about the new record, Emergence. So, I mean, hands down, if you can't tell already at this point in the podcast... I'm going to shake you because obviously we like it. We all like it. We love it. But the, the specifics of why we love it and how much we love it is what we're getting into now. I've just explained my wrap up. Now I will do it. <laughs> um, emotionally, I felt that this album might have actually been more impactful than the previous and more impactful than a lot of albums we've covered because it's so no bones about it, aggressive in your face. And what I love about it is that from the moment the first track starts... Bef- the moment that we get below the belt that aggressive start carries through through most of the album it, it has no bones about what it's presenting while there's a lot of metaphors in the lyrics being in your face it has no problem about f- flaunting what is going on here this aggressive, this confusion this you know ambiguity but it, it's in your, very in your face even if it is in your face ambiguity which sounds like an oxymoron I'm
1: losing you yeah
0: um, <laughs> circles within circles exactly instrumentally of course these guys are fantastic and incredible um you know definitely the best at what they do especially within this record and the previous i have to go back and listen to the first album i must be honest i have not actually heard it um i thought that the previous record was their first um and vocally i've already praised darren charles to death but I'll continue to do it he's, he's the kind of rock singer I'm looking for, while I have a lot of favorite frontmen, he is definitely near the top of the list because he reminds me of, of a bygone age I might not have heard again and also improves and perfects it um, and his lyric writing is unlike anything I've ever heard before, while it's not complicated, it, not always complicated narratives or you know, you know these huge political views, it's just it's very him and it's very easy to get, to understand and get attached to Um, I will admit, though, there were moments on this record that I just felt like I've heard this song before, but this is a way more technical, intricate, and better executed version of that song I've heard before. Um, that's not a bad thing. Familiarity is not always the enemy. I just feel like because there are a few moments on this record where I can go, huh, that was an interesting choice, or, huh, I didn't expect that, or didn't we hear this already it, it just is not the perfection that envisioned envisioned Conundrum was yeah I'm struggling a little bit there it's just not that was a five album now that said this is damn near close um, I've been absorbed in this record since we decided to cover it I waited until it came out and then Steve told we mutually decided we were going to cover it so I wouldn't spoil myself but I spoiled myself anyway. I listened to it every day for a week, um, just like their previous records. This, for me, just comes shy of that perfect score because of those few moments where I felt that it did settle in that plateau, I albeit a very high plateau, but a plateau of a similar sound in certain tracks. This is a 4.9. It falls just below their previous work for me. I think that it's still frickin' fantastic, but it's just envisaged Conundrum is still a little higher up for me. That said, and beyond comparison to previous work, this is a damn fine record and definitely a great addition
2: to anyone's library. Technically, they're borderline genius, if not outright geniuses <laughs> when it comes to their instrumentation. The picking, the drum work, uh, and the bass, everything. The, it's, it's phenomenal. I hear
0: it's all about that bass.
2: I wish in in certain instances I wish I could just take that bass and just put it in my ears. I already said that. It happens I didn't want to repeat myself five tracks. <laughs> Poetry is is intriguing and heart tugging. Vocally, I'm 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 in the same line with Matt. He's one of my favorites. He's not honestly not top ten for me, but some of my top tens are the guys I grew up with. I mean that's my top ten. These guys as far as You know, last ten years, uh, dude. uh, Yeah, easily one of maybe two or three. But I, I there was just some nitpicks. It's it's really all my issues were aired, so you already heard them all. Those issues did drop it enough that I'm I'm still not even in the same range as Matt. It's a four seven five. There's nothing here, I think, that pushes it to five, because there's nothing here that I f- really think is, is truly innovative. It's masterful, but it's not new ideas. It's just incredibly well-presented masterpiece ideas, and i got to reserve that really upper echelon five stuff for a truly new
1: thing for my ears. This album takes a few listens, I think for most people. I think Godsticks in general will probably take a few listens because it'll it'll take you a while really to even realize what they're doing that is fresh. That's something that I don't know most bands can't really or maybe shouldn't just shove in your face right away and say, Oh alright, this is just wildly new. I think a lot of times it takes a little bit of coaxing and that in itself is a little bit of art. As I said, the door opener is something that I do rate really highly, the kind of album that will bring people who are otherwise really just like tethered in one particular style and open their doors, open their their um their their sights I think to things that that I don't know, they might have never even tried, just because of genre fusion. It's so weird, though, for me to even use the words genre John when I'm talking about Godsticks, because at the end of the day, I really just feel it's Godsticks. I agree. There are only a few little moments toward the end of the album where this may not have just quite reached the same heights as Invisit's Conundrum, or didn't have the same cohesion. Now, all things considered, what's strange is that Invisit's Conundrum was an album that had various doses. We just left completely. They left the world. They just, some guy had an aside. Disclosure is a... Is a, a Avant-garde jazz piano piece uh, smack in the middle of of a Godsticks album, and then raised concerns is a well, is a whole thing unto itself. And Border Stomp is a whole thing unto itself. I like being able to say that most tracks are just that. Um, in fact, the that that it was the reason why that ended up as like the perfect five is just because I know that that album was probably giving me something new within the shade of godsticks under the umbrella of godsticks on each and every track just to kind of fill out the experience uh album arc is a really really tricky thing and i think this album literally had it half right that doesn't mean that it's half good and it's going to end up like a three point uh or a 3.0 or 2.5 rather that would be half it doesn't mean that that It, it means that it's half right from an album arc perspective. They had it perfect all the way up until the middle point, and I think there was a some little stray thing that, that, that went wrong to follow that, only because they, 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 they couldn't introduce that new uh, wow factor. They kept it pretty stable for the last half, and uh, that's the area where most people, when you're talking about books, when you're talking about TV shows, when you're talking about just about everything, some people start to just kind of coast. You're probably sold on at that point, which is just the reason why this is going to be incredibly upper echelon fours. Not to mention all the other reasons we mentioned, their virtuosity, their, his lyrical ability. Um, each and every passage, the emotions they convey, the lyrics, it, it's just phenomenal. But it, it's about that arc, that, that experience that, that makes that last little stretch, you know, a little bit of a, eh, where, where did it go? Where did the surprises go? Um, you could tell they were just coasting for for a little bit and in the subtlest of fashions that to me really is worth uh, I'm gonna go just a little bit further than you Matt. Maybe a, a point point two difference I'll say this is a four point eight only because there are some moments here where they edged a little bit too far back into the recesses of what you'd expect from metal uh, and maybe a little less prog and ultimately a little less uh, Godsticks. but that's a subtle subtle shift. Oh and last point the mixing I want to hear that bass more that's it. It's, I think that the the know, right? was just a, was just a slightly cleaner mix, and that's not maybe not even something that Godsticks has control over, um, or it had to do with the uh, their choices to play a little bit heavier, and then you'd need to readjust and take into account um, those shifts. I don't I don't pretend to be involved in the in the process or know what went involved in this process, but uh, I don't know something something was lacking, and I wanted I wanted those notes to reach out more. I think what muddiness me, is what I'm, my point is.
0: I think what put me up that point one higher is that I connected on an emotional level to this album.
2: That I think, while well, you guys did as well, it's it's my emotional core. Oh, forget that. I, if this was, if I did not connect with this album at all, I'd be giving it the same rating. Yeah. Uh, up to up to almost maybe almost the same exact rating because it's just undeniable. Yeah, the, the, the it, skill is here. That point one <laughs> is
1: not worth the motions. They're, they're there, and they're there for all of the tracks yeah. that I mentioned mm-hmm. in quite a big way. But
0: either way, I'm connecting with an album that I think I just, I'm pushing it closer to the previous work and to Fives in general, which is fine. We, we rate differently, and that's fine. I just wanted to make my case that I have my reasons. I'm sticking with it.
2: You know what it just might be? Like, frankly, I think visage Conundrum at the end of the day is a scarier album, and that I love. It was more off the wall.
1: I, That's funny because it seemed like they were trying to do something a little bit scary here, especially considering the tone. It's but the it's story here that scary is the scariest. doesn't always aspect. mean what we think it is. Yeah, mm. story—it has to do with tone and, and, and the shifts that you make. It's all about the experience, not really about the, the exact product.
2: And, and I'm not—I just—I don't care that it's not perfect. This is still a great album. <laughs> um, I want to take a moment
0: now to talk a little bit about what this album brought up today so and i was having a conversation off the air earlier uh with my wife about how i was nervous about reviewing this album and you might say matt why are you nervous about reviewing this album you're a reviewer you do your job and you do your diligence and call it a day that is true and while that's the case we've made a connection with godsticks and we're super thankful they've been great they've been very open about talking to us when we have any questions for them about anything they've commented on our
1: posts the, um, to, be, to be clear, we've made connections with a few of the artists that we've reviewed, but normally after, in the same way as Godstick's, normally after the first album that we reviewed. And then we don't review them again, because we're trying to stay diverse and, and visit as many artists as possible. We revisit only a few artists, usually for special cases uh, when they do something radically different, like, oh, Serge McTankin decided to go do a classical album. Well, this is curious. Let's check it out. Um, um, there are some exceptions to that rule like steam powered giraffe and they might be giants where things were hooks careers we might be following and this in this case the the precedent was the bar it set. so and because of that and how much we praised that previous record,
0: I was nervous about reviewing this and the anxieties that come with reviewing albums and reviewing anything really is especially when you make a personal connection to the artist you, there's a lot of pressure to give a honest and true opinion about their works without being clouded by
2: you know, friendship or previous content. It's especially hard when you fell in love with a specific album or a specific piece by that artist. And this is something that happens a lot with me personally, and I know it does happen with a lot of other people. You love something, you love this album, and nothing will ever measure up to it because it's your first time. Yeah. And so, okay, with what we do here... We 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 fell in love with Godsticks, all three of us, all over again, with this album. But it's a different kind of love for me. This one, honestly, I'm probably gonna listen to a lot more than I even listened to in Invisis Conundrum, because, like I said, I ain't scared, but. It's it it may just be because it's it's not that five star for me because it's, it's just a little more approachable. And it's hard to convey that when you're reviewing it. I mean, I think I might love this more, even though I'm not rating it as high. How do I say that in a review? Well, just, the thing is, impossible. I don't. I don't
1: think too many of us thought we were going to walk in here, and it's just like, oh, well, they just decided to, you know, put put shit in a canvas for for you know, 45 minutes. I don't think any of us thought it was going to be like, a, like seriously low rating. So for me, it had really less to do about um, about like what I was going to get from the album. I pretty much fully like it, it was where it was above I, what I expected to be honest. My expectations in general for music. Well, actually, no, I can be pretty snooty, so my expectations are pretty high. And still, they kind of exceeded that. Um, But, uh, yeah, the issue of whether this is, like, a five or not is not really uh, the discussion here. It's not, like, well, whether it's perfect and, like, uh, we we don't say perfect. Perfection is an inattainable beast, as far as I'm concerned. uh, Sometimes you can't even control it. I, I think that more often it is outside the... Um, the control of artists. They need to be in the right place, the right time. Everyone has to be at the right place at the right time and coordinate. That's just, that's an impossible challenge. So it's not a question of rating. It is a question indeed of of listening. I have this experience recently. Obviously, I just mentioned I um, uh, went to a, a Beethoven concert earlier. You know, just, all right, it's Beethoven. Beethoven, he's been composing for well, okay, he hasn't been composing for 200 years, but he was composing 200 years ago. Uh, at some point, you know, he had to die. Um, that happens with composers. Unless he's buried and frozen underneath the earth with Walt Disney. Maybe. And, and what? And Tupac and Elvis? Yeah, is, them is too. That what you're going with? This? Okay. Well, the thing is, with Beethoven, it's, it's more of a line, like, because it's so universally accepted, you know, to be considered, while the pivotal works in Western music... Then how do you how does one review that? Yeah. You know, all I can do is maybe review the orchestra which I saw is uh, American classical orchestra's rendition of it. And all right, I'm a writer. I can I can pretty much I, I I can notice these things. I can notice what they did that was unique. I've heard many renditions before of of the the same uh, pieces. Incidentally, the Lenore uh, overture from Fidelio and. Uh, Beethoven's Emperor Concerto, and finally, Beethoven's Seventh Symphony. So, all extremely popular pieces. I note what I can. The key thing is the way in which it works with the whole uh, writer-publicist dynamic. The idea that almost exclusively, when a publicist (coughs) sends out press releases, they want you to like the work, but really more important than you liking it is what you have to say about it. Sure. You know? it, It just means that if you're a good writer, then all right, come on, talk us up, talk us up. We really, really need, you know, the help. We need the the extra push. And we'll give it, the relationship is that, in turn, you will get a byline, and uh, then you get l- credentials as a writer. And, you know, there is a little bit about it that can come across as a slight <clears throat> bit fake because, of course, it is a business in addition to it. And most people going into this try to keep their, um, their artistic sensibilities about them as long as they can, but there does come the time where... You're a writer. you paid to write. You just have to write. You have to write that article, and you need to get as many press releases as you can and get as many bylines as you can. That means that there's not the same room, there's not the same uh, uh, door for critiquing, necessarily, despite that we call ourselves critics. So it's a different kind of dynamic, and that's something that we're trying to change here, for instance, on this podcast, which is that, no, we say what we feel, and we'll always be respectful about it. Um, well, and, but now we'll always be respectful. Yeah, and yeah in yeah, the, in yeah, the yeah, past, listen weirdos. to our episodes, being like, "This sucks." No, we never actually did that. But no. we were. Yeah, you know, I think we were I, a little, we a little cruel. I might have done that. Yeah. Um, still, the point is, oh. when, whenever, whenever there is going to be an eye on the project, there is that drive to kind of stretch the truth a little bit, you know, and say, "Eh, that that wasn't so bad." God, this really sucks. And this is not a case <clears throat> of what happened today, but these are the. These, this is what we worry about going into it, being how well can, how accurately can we keep our artistic sensibilities? In fact, it's gotten to the point that, not
2: necessarily music, because I can't think of any examples, but in other forms of media and consumption, there is blackouts. There's actual holds on reviews until after a product is released. It's, an, it's
0: a notorious tactic that a studio will put an embargo on on reviewing a thing if they think it's going to fail or be terrible. Most, the most uh, recent case was the new Fantastic Four movie, which was destined to tank. And when review writers started writing reviews, they put an embargo
1: that couldn't release the reviews Till the out the uh, movie was out. You can't re- like, in other words, no reviewer can release any kind of review until. No, there was an actual embargo on it. Nobody yeah. was allowed until the movie. They had would go premiered. after you if you released a review before the movie was out. Including well, the because oh, you mean because of the inherent implication that you it's... saw a bootleg copy. No no, 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 because it stunk, and you're going to say it stunk, oh. so they do that. That's so you can't do that. That seems that seems almost wrong. Yes, it is kind it of is wrong.
2: Kinda. In fact, um. One big issue that's on YouTube and other forms of media is the Nintendo issue now. Nintendo doesn't allow the bulk of its games to be played, even though pretty much every other video game company has come to the conclusion, yeah, these guys on YouTube and Twitch and whatnot playing our video games, they're giving us a ton of free advertisement. Not Nintendo.
0: Nintendo doesn't allow this. That's actually not so true anymore. Nintendo has actually been not allowing any it's not that they're not allowing anyone they're only allowing sponsored partners they'll send their games to specific
2: AKA youtubers
0: they're paying someone to talk them up no they they there've been plenty of poor reviews on Nintendo games where YouTubers have been honest about it, but they're still sending the games directly to them to get the press. So it's still free press, but they're picking
2: and choosing, which is still well. It's all actually what you're not saying. free press because they're they're paying for it because they're sponsoring this play. Sure, but it's kind of weird because this was it was a short-term, six month, eight month, maybe a full year-long like major issue, where where the big guys like PewDiePie really was pissed about this. Sure, and rightfully so, like. Do these companies publishing, not necessarily the artists themselves, but the publishing uh, people have the right to really say if you can or cannot review something? And better yet, do they
1: have any sort of power in allowing That's you to say certain why things. why I said it was wrong. I don't think that technically they can. Except they get away with it. That's the
2: whole thing. It may be wrong in a couple different moral ways, but legally they're allowed to push a lot of these issues. So when we have a little apprehension
1: reviewing a band that we fell in love with with a previous album then there might actually be like a, a legal precedent behind that anxiety is what you're saying. Yeah arguing. like
2: there's there's something the idea
1: that like well okay we obviously know that there's probably no band that we can necessarily think of that would ever put any sort of embargo on a review but the idea that like you know a lot of and I can I can see this as like a, a budding composer I could definitely see the I, the notion you know please don't review it maybe maybe don't tell me what you think I I could understand that attitude from an artist artist perspective now I do understand I, just to play devil's advocate, I do understand that, that well, that's kind of what you walk into. You you start producing art, then that's part of the premise is what we do. You pretty much open the door for honest discussions about it. Most artists should be honored that it is being considered in, in, in such a fashion. Uh, to Say nothing for our work, but for just about any writer out there, any reviewer, taking the time with it. That should, for the most part, be an honor. But... Especially for certain personalities, you might just say, um, music, you know, fans, go out there, enjoy it. If, if you like it, give me some money, buy it. But I don't know, don't, don't, you don't have to share the, the, the notion with me. Does that make any sense? I mean, I, I kind of understand what you're saying. I think
0: that there's an apprehension in internet culture also because, like, the idea, don't read the comment section. Yeah, is this exactly. It's this idea that a lot of people, and I believe even Darren said that. Um, he was apprehensive at first because typically they don't read their own reviews. They worry, you know, they're very per- the work is very personal and they're afraid to see someone tear it down. But they were
1: very happy with the way we discussed it and how we well, talked about it. That's also the premise of the podcast: is it's more likely you'll be unfulfilled by the end of let's say a twelve hundred word article. You know, right. by the end of that, eh, people are going to boil it down to concise statements that. Sometimes it belies the very nature of music. Music warrants a discussion, and things are not so clear-cut. Now, we may be the opposite side of the coin, and we just like to ramble on incessantly. We are a
0: little wordy. (laughs) But um, I think that it's important to confront these things as a reviewer also. I mean, it's (coughs) just like, you know, worrying about a personal connection getting in the way. But for me, it was mostly, again, because when we reviewed the first record, which I absolutely adored, or the second record, rather, it just, you know, was so great. And I didn't know that Godsticks would know that we talked about it. Whereas in this case... I know they're going to listen, or they're at least going to... Or their fans are going to listen, since it was recommended that way. So, you know, that causes apprehension. But when it comes down to it, of course, we're still going to do it, because we want to
1: talk about it. Also, we're 160 episodes into this. It's like, you know, we kind of know at this point what we're getting into with every single episode. And and we, we I, especially me, like, toward the end of episodes, I know when there's a, a, a product that we've put out where we... Either I felt like, you know, we didn't have our thoughts together 100%, you know, or or that we skirted by too many points, or that maybe we honed in on one point too heavily. That's just it's inevitable that's going to happen. So if, you know, I have the, the presence of mind or the self-consciousness about my own work, then of course, it's, it's likely that there is going to be that apprehension in the community. So... Yeah, all this is saying is your apprehension was warranted. Yeah. Beware. Yeah. Fear. Fear every day. Well, fear is an important reaction to things, I think. Okay, fine. Don't fear every day. Fear every week. That's it. Just once a week just, at least. just once a week. Once a week, be, be uh, immersed in fear. That sounds awful. Bad. That sounds really bad. No, no. That that's sounds- that's um, my life advice from Steve to you, Matt. Okay, I, just, I have
0: <laughs> no idea where to go from there, so I think we'll just, we'll, we'll call the discussion at that. What is it, not good?
1: <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> I think it's fine life advice.
0: Um, you know, and before we get into our, our fan mail, since we have one this week and what we're doing next week, I just want to actually personally thank Godsticks for making fantastic music and, you know, allowing us to review it. Not that I suppose you could stop us, but... That you appreciate what we do. Um, That means a lot to us, and I love the record, so keep making awesome stuff.
1: I had a hell of a time listening to it, and it will probably find a new place in my car. Yeah, it'll replace the other disc. No, it won't replace it. No, 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 It'll no. It'll join it. Oh. I'll jam both into the car at the same time, and then Steve, I have to get that's a new, not new
0: how stereo. C- yeah, say that's not how CDs work. Yeah. yeah oh, hey, would... some
1: cars have six-disk changers. I envied that growing up. Yeah, but you still can't play them both at the same time,
2: unless, and I'm already trying to figure out what transmutable materials I can use this out so I'm going right, to be let, distracted let, for the rest let of let the episode. Yeah, off, let right. him trail off. Yeah, let him trail off. Steve, why don't you give
0: us our fan mail this week, which actually comes from a mutual podcaster.
2: It would be yes. like a
1: sandwich. Your, your time is done. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Steve Ferguson, who uh, we know and maybe some listeners would know as the one of the proprietors, along with Doug Ferguson, of the Music A to Z podcast, which we reviewed back in episode 150 on our special third anniversary uh, special. It's, see, it's special because it's special. Yeah. And we went through a series of podcasts, and they were, like, maybe third on the list. And I pulled them out as a – I think I referred to them as a grassroots podcast or however the hell. I, I figured, like, all right, these are just two guys. They're out there in Vancouver, Canada. They kind of do what we do, but they tackle music on a uh, discographical level. They don't look at one album at a time. In their given episodes, they will look at every single album that an artist has produced. So just just imagine – just for the hell of it. Let's say today had existed. I mean, you had to, let's say, do the EP, uh, the first God EP. Then you had to do Spiral <laughs> Vendetta. Then you had to do Invisit's Conundrum. And then we had to do Immersions. The way we do this, the episode would be eight hours long. Eight hours long. Yes, I think that's an accurate assessment. Weezer. Um, so, yeah, more power to them for being a little more concise than us. Uh, <laughs> anyway... Uh, they, they were uh, honored to at least be reviewed back in episode 150 by us. No no big thing. <laughs> I mean, it's we not. were happy to chat about yes. a great podcast. That's right. It was very enjoyable. And uh, they reached out recently, uh, not just to ask about various questions on audio quality, but finally for a fan request, and we'd love to hear that. So, Steve Ferguson begins. Hey, guys. Man, you guys are passionate about music. I've been selectively going through your episodes and found myself enjoying your analysis as well as your banter. Good times. I was hoping to make an album request, and it's one I've put some thought into. After all, I I would want it to be at least a little challenging, and one I would be intimately familiar with. So it struck me. Roxy Music's last release, 1982's Avalon. I was raised on this album, even more than most people would be, as my mother used to listen to the album while she was pregnant with me, and would breastfeed me while playing the album. There's even a possibility I was conceived to this album. TMI? Maybe. But VH1's Behind the Music certainly attested that Many a Babe was brought into existence that year to this album. Never knew that. Anyway, an album to which I know every measure, every lyric, and every pause, I would like you to put your musical clairvoyance to use on it. But don't feel like you have to like it on my account. I would love a fresh perspective regardless. And if you happen to love it anyway, all the better. Thanks, guys. Keep on keeping on. I like that sign-off. All right, so I had to let the guy down only on the basis that it was a 1982 album. I've had to do this a uh, few too many times recently. We need to have a freaking sign somewhere up on our podcast that we do not do uh, older albums, and there isn't anymore. reasoning anymore. We used to, we had a couple little stray things, a couple were errors, a couple <clears throat> were just like, ah, hey, yeah, all right, we'll, we'll we'll reach back in time, and. The, the, the mandate doesn't exist because, like, we're just anti-older music. We obviously grew up on... We all grew up on albums, and we would all have shining things to say on it. In fact, the mandate doesn't even come from being... Uh, from having preferences or... or um Or liking an album too much that we grew up with. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It actually has to do with considering an album's place in its time, because that does tend to be a big part of our discussion. Uh, For instance, we find ourselves, you know, talking today about like, oh, that sounded, you know, very metal of like, you know, 10 years ago, or that sounds very grunge. And we compare our, we compare it to things. And then we have to come back to the question of like, well, what is it doing that's fresh? Very few albums can be so incredibly timeless to say that, oh yeah, this album was made in 1977 it feels like it could have been made yesterday. You're probably gonna be able to tell. Very few albums can actually uh, skirt on by that. And I don't believe that's the sole deciding factor in in terms of where an album lies on on the grand scale of it all. But we're gonna have to bring ourselves back to that discussion. Eh, we don't wanna get involved in that. So lately we've just been looking at modern albums because they're made now, we see where their place is in in our time, and then that's it. It's just a little bit easier for us. So. Or lazy. Is the answer? Yes,
0: it's a very long-winded way of saying Steve is lazy. You've Hi. heard it here first. First,
1: you would you you you'd have problems. Trust me. <laughs> Trust me. Um,
0: that said, of course, Steve, thank you for reaching out. Um, we do love the podcast, and so you keep on keeping on as well. That also said, if we do a retro review episode of the podcast or start doing written retro reviews, we'll definitely take on that record. I'm actually excited to hear it because I don't remember it off the top of my head, though I'm sure I've heard some of the selections
1: before. In the meantime, we look forward to hearing uh, from you on a more recent fan request. Um, You put it out there so you have a you have a slot it is currently an empty slot but it's there so you pick one we'll review it so thank you for writing and um, yeah
0: going forward uh, we're happy to get fan requests and thank you for sending them and if they are retro we will put them on the backlog and find a way to work them in but try and keep them modern it just makes it easier for us at the moment Um, next week so next week we have our September guest and our September guest is burlesque performer and producer extraordinaire Anya Keister who's bringing us um, champ by the uh, the band The Mountain Goats. I've heard of the Mountain Goats. I've not heard their stuff. I, am I have excited not to... heard of the Mountain Goats. They're, I think they're an indie band, but I'm not 100% on that. I've definitely heard the name before. The it... name sounds pretty indie to me. Yeah. Um, so she's bringing that to us. Fun fact about Anya. I've been talking to her for a while. She's a mutual friend um, of mine and my wife's. And I've known her for quite a while. She wanted to originally bring on Kanye West's new record. However, that is not out yet. So she may come back with that at a later date. However, she is bringing us Champ, and I'm excited to have her on um, to continue the uh burlesque-ification of this podcast, considering we've had both burlesque performers and performers who perform at burlesque shows,
2: a la Chef of the Dark Lord, uh, Afterbirth Monkey, and Nelson Lugo. I have no problem turning this show into a burlesque-oriented Extravaganza. The, uh, the
0: only problem,
1: I, 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 I would have an issue. The
0: only problem is burlesque doesn't translate to sound; it's a visual medium. <laughs> uh, that would be no problem for me. Well, obviously, you'd yes. be in the room. Yes. Um, so she's coming on next week. We're excited to have her and to take on that record. So on that note, I will sum us up as I always do every week by saying, "Music is life,
2: and, and life, life is good." good.